Hello and welcome to the Fire Breathing Kittens podcast, a TTRPG podcast with a twist. Different characters playing each week, different systems each week, different stories each week. You want to try a new system? Have a look down our episodes right there, just have a little scroll. We may well have one that you're into. And of course, if you are yourself in it, an indie TTRPG designer and want us to play your system, feel free to email us at firebreathingkittenspodcast at gmail.com and I'm sure we can sort something out. Speaking of weird new systems though, this week we are playing Dicing with Death. Ooh, spooky. Now, Dicing with Death is a fiction-first dice-based TTRPG that exclusively uses D6s. Challenges are overcome by contested roles against the GM, who takes the role of death itself. You will always find yourself at a disadvantage, having to use your wits and guile to survive, risking your own safety and the safety of your party to defy the odds and weave your own tale. So basically, it's a fiction-first, improv-heavy system, and the rules are more like guidelines. The aim of the game is basically just to have fun and tell a good story, but I should probably tell you how roles work, just so you, you understand what's going on here. So, as I said, we only roll d6s, so each roll is against me, the GM, i.e. death. Uh, I basically say how many dice I'm going to roll, like say 2d6, 3d6, what have you, and then what will happen if the player wins the roll, and what happens if I win the roll. The player then tries to negotiate some more dice for themselves, through various different things we'll get into a bit later on. Once we're all agreed on dice rolls and the consequences of, then we roll. And then simply put, the highest number wins. So if my highest roll is a 6 and theirs is a 5, I win. If our highest roll is the same, then we move on to the next highest. So say if I roll a 5 and a 3, and then the player rolls a 5 and a 5, they win. Because, you know, 5 beats 3. The consequences happen, and then we move on with our lives. That's the basic gist of it. That's the important stuff out of the way. We'll get on to any other mechanics a bit later when they come up. So, this will be the first ever live playtest of a TTRPG. I have not checked that fact. It may be wrong. Maybe right. Who knows? Anyway, I think I've probably talked enough. And it is about time we introduce our characters for this episode. Now, uh, this is actually one of our... Uh, famous companion episodes, so next week's episode will also be Dicing with Death, following the same kind of basic story premise, but with completely different characters, and trust me, it will be wildly different to what's going to happen in this episode. So, without further ado, this week's characters are Maeve. Bonjour, je m'appelle Maeve. I'm not actually going to be talking in French the whole time. Maeve is a fire genasi. Uh, she is a young adult, so like, eh, 20-ish. She is six foot tall, though that kind of grows when she's angry. Her hair is made of flames, and that changed color depending on how angry she is or if she ate some specific elements. Uh, her skin looks like lava rock crooling and cracking all over, and it gets really red hot white as she gets angry. Her eyes are kind of hard to stare at because they're very similar to the fire burning in a star. Um, she wears pirate clothes, so like a billowy shirt and leather corset, and she's very excited to be here. Next up, we have Bartholomew. Well, hello there. Um, I'm Bartholomew. I'm a six foot two human man with auburn hair, white skin, and blue eyes. I'm wearing a green regimental coat with beige facings, beige breeches, and a black tricorn hat. 
One thing I'd like to do before the beginning of every episode is I'd like to recite one of the poems I've written. I write poetry, but I'm also a calligrapher. But I write my own magazines. I write poetry, current events, and I actually make crossword puzzles and put them on the backs of my magazines. That's how I make my money. But I do have a poem I'd like to read. <clears throat> of the road to Summerfell. The winding path through Timbered Ridge leads to Summerfell. Manor daunting, always taunting, undead, shrieking hell. Traveler beware, the manor condemned of horrors unexplained. Turn away, go astray, either do you well. Hang on, I think we should... <laughs> Thank you. I was sure if I should clap on my <laughs> That's mic. That's very good. I never know when these things end. <laughs> then last up, we have Armando. Yes, hello. My name is Armando Contenza Vilano de Medici. I am a human being. I'm a six foot two. At 31 years old, I have uh, dark brown hair. It looks almost black, but it is dark brown. Uh, my eyes are amber, and uh, they're very light, but sometimes it is off-putting when I look at people, but uh, I, I think it's a, it's a good color. Um, let's see. I am wearing a simple tunic. I am what you call a mercenary sword fighter. So, you know, I wear clothing appropriate to that. Nothing too tight, nothing too loose. Uh, I can move, but I still look, you know, I am dressed. I am decent, you know? And uh, last but not least, I have a very manly mustache on my face. Very big, very intimidating. So that that is everything. Boy, I wish subtitles were in audio. <laughs> what are you talking about? Uh, no, no, I'll tell you later. <laughs> okay. Sounds good to me. Well, that's our... Characters introduced, those are the ones who will be risking life, limb, and a third thing beginning with L this episode. So let's dive right in. So the three of you wake up. This is nothing unusual, of course. You wake up every single day, sometimes twice in a day. If it's if you've had a bit too much, you know what I'm saying. I've heard stories. I have read it in books. <laughs> uh, what's unusual about this particular waking up? is that you all appear to be in some sort of waiting room. You know, the sort of room you, you sit in just to wait uh, for like an appointment or something. But this room is a magical sort of room. So it looks different to each one of you. It's designed to play on your memories and your senses to make you feel at ease. So what do you think this particular waiting room would look like for each of you? You're all in the same space. It just looks wildly different to each person well for bartholomew myself um it reminds me of well the waiting room at home my mother's a surgeon and there's a waiting room well in my house so i'd actually imagine waking up in my house or something similar to my house very reminiscent of home and i wouldn't immediately be alarmed because it's so recognizable so familiar but then i would realize that the familiarity is rather out of place because I'm not at home. I'm around the Firebirthy Kittens Guild in Dickamore. I'd be put off guard a bit, maybe wondering, is this some waiting room here in Nicomoy that just reminds me of home? How did I get here? For Maeve, it is kind of appearing very opulent, very um, like aspen trees filled with uh, golden 
veins, I guess. Um, and it reminds her of her former job working for Echo Wood White and Sundew Goldleaf. Um, she spent a lot of time in their kind of waiting, receiving room, helping them manage people. So she is very much so like, ugh, really? <laughs> I have to do this again? Okay. I think for me, I th- if so... What you need to understand about me is I am a very uh, accomplished Thor fighter. And so that sometimes, as a mercenary, I can get into trouble because the police, they do not know the town guard. They do not understand that I have, like, uh, the appropriate uh, permit to take out the bad guys. But uh, so I think the waiting room looks a lot like a processing facility in a prison. Like, I have been arrested and I am on a bench... And I'm just waiting for the misunderstanding to be cleared up. And I'm, I'm comfortable. This is not a, my first rodeo, as you say. But I am like uh, sitting, I'm at peace. And I know this is all going to get cleared up very soon. Well, funny you should say that because there is, as you will wake up and kind of get your wits about you a bit more, you'll see in this room, the one thing which is common to each one of you is that there does seem to be some door on one of those walls, or in the case of Maeve, a door in a tree, I guess. Uh, above it is a number. It doesn't matter what number. Let's say 12. It just seems to be glowing above the door. And let's say you've got a bit of time to hang out and try and figure out what's going on. This is the role play bit, folks. All right. You can talk to each other and, <laughs> and be characters for a bit before we get into the dice rolly parts. Uh, thank you for your permission, GM. I think we can figure it out, but thank you. Appreciate it. <laughs> uh, so, hey, you two, why are you here in prison? Were you, what are you arrested for? Uh, GM, I have a question. Are we all together? Do we all see different things? Or is it sort of a mix of all three of our descriptions? No, it, it's, it's very strange and magical. Ooh. Ooh. Uh, yeah, yeah. So... Effectively, you all imagine yourselves all waking up, kind of lying on the floor next to each other. So you can see each other, you can interact with each other, but the surroundings to each person looks completely different. I see. That is why I asked the question, why are you in prison? Because I see a prison, and so I see you too also, and I think you are in a prison with me. But not like in the prison, like we're being being processed. Got it. So clearly you have done something they suspect is wrong, but it is not totally wrong. Ah, uh, uh, I see. Wait, you said a prison? This doesn't seem like a prison. It seems very homely. I, I've never been in a prison. I, I guess prisons aren't as bad as I thought they'd be. Uh, nice to meet you. I'm Bartholomew. Bartholomew, that is a very manly name. I appreciate it. Uh, my name is Armando Contenda Bilano de Medici. It's a pleasure to meet you. Armando, nice to meet you. Z- yes, that will do. This is not... A prison? This is uh, the waiting room for um, Sire Goldleaf. I don't know why I am back here. I, uh, I, I suppose I uh, could have perhaps been, if this is a prison, uh, arrested with the crew, but I left the crew a long time ago. You are part of a crew? Uh, yes, the, uh, the pirate ship. Uh, for such a long, long time. Bartholomew shields his eyes with his hand. Is like, oh, it's so bright. Um, it's very hard to have a conversation with you and and speak to you directly because for, your eyes are so bright. It's like the sun. 
Uh, yes, I am looking for a um, pretty hat to uh, assist with this. Uh, however, I, it looks like I was not that successful considering I am here with you. And unless you have a pretty hat to sell. Well, I have my hat, but I need it. It's, well, I, he, he kind of looks at his hat. I don't need it, but it is a part of my identity. I couldn't imagine myself without it. Maybe we could find a hat for you at some point. We can find a hat. I mean, I have no hat. It is uh, a hindrance in my line of work, but uh, I think we can find a hat for you. Uh, (laughs) Sky high stakes this week, folks. We're trying to find a hat. (laughs) You don't know what kind of hat it is. It could be like a spectacular hat. Okay, I'll make a note. Hat. A spectacular. <laughs> I mean, like the best how you ever see in your life. Throw away all the plans. Hat. <laughs> Let me just delete everything I've got. What? Hat. Well, that is only what she is after. No, what about Bartholomew? Maybe he is trying to get uh, reunited with somebody or uh, take vengeance on somebody or something. Are you Bartholomew? Oh, my, my story is quite sad, actually. I'm looking to end the curse on my hometown. It's overplayed by these zombies, the zombie curse coming from Summerfell. Well, I've mentioned it a bit in the poetry I read earlier today. Very unfortunate events. I'm trying to end this. I have a year to to do so for once a year, the zombies will come and destroy our town. They attack once a year and they get stronger every year. So it's projected that in a year, it'll be over for us and spill into other towns, neighboring towns like Shelton. I have to say, I did enjoy your poetry, and usually I do not enjoy uh, art as much. But uh, I thought it was a metaphor, like it was very beautiful. But now that I know it is uh, quite literally uh, zombies, <laughs> I I would I am interested in helping you. I'm a very capable uh, sword fighter. Yes, the road to Summerfell. Summerfell is the name of the manor where the zombies originate from. Summerfell belonged to an aristocratic family that lorded over our little town of Pine Drake a hundred years ago, and we fought for liberation until during the battle when, when victory was at hand, a cataclysm shook the manor and everyone there vanished. And ever since then, zombies have been coming from the manor. Anyone that goes to investigate vanishes. That sounds like quite an adventure. I would like to be a part of that. So you, I put that on my calendar for you, and we go together. I could use all the help. That's why I came here to Nicomore to look for help and to hopefully finding a cure to the curse comes before recruiting a bunch of innocent lives to fight against this zombie apocalypse. Please, nobody is innocent. Are we are, are we still in the uh, Nicomore? This does not necessarily look like where I laid to rest. Usually I sleep in the rafters of the guild hall, but uh, I see no rafters, I see no guild hall, and more importantly, I see no liqueur. What is liqueur? Uh, the, the, what do you call it? The, the beer? The, um... Oh! The hearthstuff. You know what I'm saying? Yes, yes. Like for drinking? <laughs> the hardest okay. stuff I drink is coffee, but that's another story. Oh, darling, you must allow me to uh, educate you. And the finer points of pirate life. Bom. Armando. Ooh, I don't oh, like that. 
That is sound like a signal from the GM, like we need to keep going or something, like we are done talking at this point of the game. Hey, are there 12 uh, bongs coming? Because if so, we go through that door with the 12 on it. Uh, well, no, at, at those bongs, we, funnily enough, at those bongs, the number on the door changes from 12 to 13 and the door opens inwards to reveal, well, you don't actually see anything. It's just kind of bright light on the other side and there's a voice which comes from it saying, Maze Armando Bartholomew, enter. Maeve's already going through the door. She's like, this is what we are supposed to do? Okay. To me, it looked like freedom. So I uh, happily go out the door. I'll follow the two of you. Through the other side of this door, you will now see the, the same thing now. So gone are the comforting surroundings of your home, your old workplace or prison. <laughs> you now all stand in what effectively looks like an office but with quite a lot of skull decor. And uh, there's a desk right in the middle of it with a hooded being kind of tip-tapping on some slates um, and kind of scratching with a finger into them to kind of start making notes. But this, sir... Uh, ooh, we're British there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Don't worry about it. Accents go strange in this room. Trust me! Uh, what 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 that is, is a very forgiving voice? I don't know this voice, but it is very friendly. Uh, what is, what is the meaning of this? Uh, I need a pretty hat, and I would like to go shopping. Uh, who are you? Uh, I see someone's in, still in the first stage. Please, uh, the three of you, take a seat. And suddenly, three comfortable chairs appear in front of the desk. That's convenient. Thank you. So describe this chair, cause. What is comfortable for uh, maybe Bartholomew is not comfortable for me. Can you please tell me a little bit more about this chair? Well, what's comfortable for you, Amanda? I have a very Spartan life. Like, uh, a soft chair is not on my radar. That is, like, more opulent than I'm used to. Sometimes I like to go camping. That is, like, where I live. So, a really, a hard wooden chair is all I need. And a hard wooden chair appears for you. Oh, it's perfect. That's a chair right for me. I sit in the chair. Once you've all sat down, taking your seats, the hooded being, it's all like all in a big black robe. The hood is right up. You can't see past the hood. You all sat down and the being stops tip-tapping away on the slates and kind of sits and like raises their head and looks at you. You still can't see past the hood despite the fact they're staring straight at you. It just seems to be a void in there. And the being says... Maeve Armando Bartholomew. Sorry, as I said, accents go strange in this place. I am death. Or it may be more accurate to say I am a small facet of the Great One's being that deals with incoming souls to what you understand to be the afterlife. Wait, I, I died? Wait, how? Let's not jump to conclusions. We Maybe we are not dead. If we were dead, we would not be sitting in a comfortable chair. <laughs> Bartholomew looks like he's about to have a panic attack. And hearing Armando put his hand on his shoulder, reassuring him, you're right. You're right. Yeah, we would be, it would be yeah. very, very different. 
This must be some misunderstanding or someone playing a joke on us. I understand. If uh, we were dead, that means I could do this. And she snaps her fingers and she's thinking very hard. Pretty hat, pretty hat, pretty hat. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know what? This is a perfect time to introduce the concept of challenges. (laughs) (laughs) Usually how challenges work is, as I said, I set the difficulty, so I'll say what I'm going to roll, and then we figure out what the player is going to roll. There is a very special type of roll called a luck roll, which is not based on any of the things you would normally add dice to. So your traits, which we'll come into later, you know, circumstances and context, which we'll come into later, or even bargaining, which again, we'll come to later. There's this special one called luck, which is something that doesn't rely on any of that. And it's just a, eh, we'll see. So in this case, both I and Maeve will each roll 1d6. And basically, whoever gets the highest roll wins. If we draw, we roll again and we keep going until there's a winner. So put simply, if you win on this one, Maeve, then a nice pretty hat will appear. If I win, no hat. Very simple, very easy. Yep. Right, Those stakes are uh, not very bad. <laughs> you know, you have uh, very little to lose. Well, I, I don't know. This is Maeve's entire <laughs> goal here, isn't it? Getting a nice pretty hat. All right, you ready? Yes. Three, two, one, roll. <laughs> I rolled a three. <laughs> That's either good or bad. Uh, Maeve rolled a one. <laughs> oh. So in this situation, no magical hat appears. Maeve snaps her fingers and there does seem to be something trying to materialize, but but it just seems to fizzle out and go up in a bit of a puff of smoke. This is ridiculous. I cannot be uh, dead because I cannot get the hat. You are a liar. Uh, I see we have three people at stage one. Denial. Who That's is okay. denying That's anything? Okay. What are you talking about? I, I totally accept your death and I laugh in your face. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you are even death, you are like some a small banana. You are not like the top banana at all. Maybe we should start at the beginning. That's a good place to start. As I mentioned, I am a, uh, a small part of the entity of death, which deals with the day-to-day incoming souls to the afterlife. There are, at last count, about... Hmm, Two billion of us doing the same sorts of jobs. I have a quick question for you. Uh, so with two billion workers doing the same job, do you have like a animal division or something like that? Or is it just people or like humanoid or dragon or, you know, there's a lot of things that are alive, plants, even like carrots. That's why we need two billion of us. There are many different afterlives. I would like to see the carrot afterlife one day, not two day. But one day, I would like to see that. We'll put that on the on the maybe pile, shall we? That's that's and fair. Then <laughs> you can see them like pretend to <laughs> <laughs> tap something in, but obviously, like, oh yes, definitely. I no. I wrinkle my mustache. It's like I'm very irritated by this lie. It's clearly a lie, but I say nothing. Bartholomew is a bit distressed after hearing you mention animals. Uh, um. Wait, if where where's Alistar, my horse? I was getting on to that, in fact. Uh, your horse is perfectly safe, or at least uh, last time I checked. Wait, what 
it, it seems that asking more questions is just producing more questions. I'll keep to myself and let you explain. Well, uh, the three of you seem to have touched on it. Uh, you, unfortunately, are all dead. Looking at your notes here, and they pull towards them a, a slate, they, the, the one they were tapping on. Oof, that's, that's nasty. It seems you were called in to clear a basement of rats. And uh, I think one of you maybe started some sort of fire. Maeve, you, <laughs> you know anything about that, maybe? Occasionally, I do not have the, what do you call it, the control of uh, what the flame I produce. And uh, I really, really do not like the rats. Uh, the rats are very, very bad. Uh so I might have uh, overreacted just a little bit. You're passionate. That is, uh, that is not your fault. You cannot control how you feel. Yes, but uh, arguably you can control not noticing the big barrels of gunpowder in the corner. Ah, <coughs> oh, yes. Um, that would be me. But I, I don't blame you for not understanding that I carry gunpowder with me. <laughs> So I think you all understand exactly how you got here. You know, I saw a two birth fly out of the basement, which I thought was a weird. There is a saying where I am from, when you see two birds fly out of the basement, that is a bad luck. And that is totally on me. I should have known that this was not something we were to be doing today. Well, I've got good news. As part of a, a, new, a new system we're trialing here in the afterlife, it's a... It's a way to ease congestion. So those who have died accidentally and before what we would call a narratively appropriate time, <laughs> they have the opportunity to travel back to the land of the living. But it is um, strictly an opt-in thing. You do have to, I would say, make the effort. First off, is this something you would be interested in going back to? life. Yes, I have things to attend to and I must, I'd never say goodbye to Alistar. It would break my heart if I were to leave him alone. I'm not sure what, oh no, Guvo. <laughs> you remember, so last episode, uh, the character Guvo, the frog person, was thinking of eating Alistar. He's, he's scared. He's scared of it happening. I must get back to Alistar before Guvo realizes. <laughs> Do not say goodbye to the, the mount every time we adventure. Is that not standard protocol? We live very dangerous lives, no? Oh, Alistar, well, before we entered that house, now I remember we were going into a basement. I had left Alistar outside. Horses can't climb stairs. This is true. Supposedly. I need to ask a question about your opt-in policy. Does anybody ever say no? Because if anybody dies accidentally, why would they not just say, yes, I would like to go back? That, I, is there some kind of catch or something? This is, I would like you to be a little bit more clear about the terms. Well, uh, as I say, um, you will need to make the effort. There is, it is a, a journey back to the land of the living, and not all souls who opt into this policy are able to make it back. I have every confidence that you three will be able to, despite your uh, issue with rats. As long as I have uh, full uh, permission to uh, kill 
all the rats which shall be fine oh old oh, don't worry those rats were taken care of one of my colleagues is sorting through them now they are annoyed <laughs> well uh, mission accomplished right I mean, like, we clear the basement of the rats. They are not there. <laughs> yes, and if this was a... Well, if we were all together taking care of these rats, I assume we're all a part of the fire-breathing kittens. I am. Yes, I, I joined recently. I was tired of wandering the world alone. And so, you know, I'm just trying to learn how to interact with people. Well, it's wonderful to meet you all again. I'm pretty sure if we've made introductions, but that blast must have erased our short-term memories of each other. Yes, I am in good company if you are all part of the fire-breathing kittens. Yes, um, Mr. Uh, Death, Sir, Your Highness, your, I don't know exactly what you... Uh, refer- I wouldn't worry about it. How do we begin? Ah, yes, the first step is uh, to sign this, and um, they kind of push over a, a slate which, as you look at it, kind of words start appearing in white in very nice cursive as a sort of a contract sort of a thing. You go, the first step is to sign this, the ancient tablet of Mulligan. (laughs) Well, certainly. Now, do I use a pen and ink? Ah, no, you simply um, trace your finger along. Well, this is very unintuitive. I've never tried this before, but let me try. He takes his finger and he starts... New technology. (laughs) He starts signing it with his finger, having a bit of difficulty. He's a calligrapher after all, and he's used to writing with a pen and ink like an art form. But with just his finger on this tablet, I assume it's like one of those touch tablets where you sign... And it's very much not like normally using a pen. It's it's very finicky. It doesn't register the finger sometimes. It gets jagged. He's looking. He's like, and there's the. I'm pretty sure it has an option to erase and try again. Yeah. He's sure. gonna be doing that for like five minutes. While he's doing that, Maeve leans over to uh, Armando and says, "Is this because I am the pirate? Uh, they know I might uh, take the very nice pen because uh, the they are to find, and sometimes he likes to take them. Do you think he knows that?" Probably. He seemed to know very much. I wouldn't worry about it, though. Bartholomew is struggling and looks at this stupid thing, and he does the best he can, and he's like, is that good enough? No, free try. Are there, like, a separate tablet we can use? I mean, no offense, Bartholomew, but you are taking a very long time. Uh, And Maeve and I, hey, maybe I'm not taking advantage of a situation. Uh, Maeve, let's uh, get to know each other. What is your favorite color? My favorite color is uh, the the copper. Um, if I put or eat the copper, my hair turns green. Copper? I will uh, twitch my mustache when I hear you are eating copper. I, I don't say anything, but like I smile, but my mustache is a twitching. <laughs> and then I turn back to Bartholomew because I'm a little off put by your dietary choices. And I'm hoping Bartholomew is almost done assigning because I would like to read the contract before I sign anything. Bartholomew is... Feeling the pressure of everyone looking at him and wait, <laughs> wanting him to get done. And now he's less worried about his calligraphy skills and now more worried about upsetting people. So now he just looks at what he's written. He's not happy with it, but the overwhelming feeling of getting on people's nerves gets to him. And he says, okay, I'm done. I'm sorry that took so long. It was, and he's looking back thinking he can reset it, but he's like, I, I can't. It's, 
I, I'm ashamed of, I, I don't like this new way of doing things, but the new way of doing things is allowing me a second chance at life, so beggars can't be choosers, I guess is what they'd say. So what do these contracts say? Well, it's fairly basic. Uh, you have a look down, it says something along the lines of, I, the undersigned, hereby agreed to forfeit my right to passing on through the afterlife in the normal way for a chance at returning to the land of the living. If I fail to do so, I hereby give up my right to pass through the afterlife in the standard way and go straight to the nothingness beyond, blah, 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 blah. I, the undersigned, signed. And then there's about a hundred different versions of Bartholomew's signature. (laughs) (laughs) Because instead of pressing the undo button, he pressed return. So it just moved on to a new line. And because of how the... (laughs) The tablet was uh, aligned. It just moved everything up so you couldn't see the new one. So you you have to scroll for a while to get down to a new line. So I turn to Maeve and I say, I think Bartholomew has like now 50 life or something like that. He has, he has agreed to this many, many times and he can do whatever he wants. But I will only sign it once. I'm okay. And so I sign with my finger. It is very sloppy, but I'm okay. And then I hand to Maeve. I was going to say that's actually a great idea. I I, I hacked into the system. I I could I could live fifty times now. I have fifty lives. Hack them in. Uh, Maeve takes it as she kind of like blows on her fingers to make sure it's super duper out and signs. It goes. Uh, this is how we sign, and it is super pretty. The um, we'll call them death's appointee because that's the phrase I've got on my notes. Death's appointee takes the the tablet back, kind of blows on it, just goes, well, that's not coming off. No matter, no matter, it's still binding. Yes, so your first step is to go and see the boatmen down by the shoreline. They will take you to the gate of the afterlife and they provide directions to you so you you, you know which way to go. And then says, one more thing before you go. You are now, and then clicks a finger, and your uh, Fire Breathing Kittens tattoos kind of start glowing green, and they will stay glowing green for as long as you stay in the land of the dead. Mm. You are now bound for the land of the living. This is the land of the dead. Only the dead may reside here. If you spend too long here, then you may find yourself unable to pass back to the land of the living. So... For the listener's um, edification, my tattoo is a very, very small tattoo on the back of my neck, but you can't really see it because I got long, a, a shorter length hair, and so it is obscured a little bit, and I don't even know that it is glowing. So unless it is glowing on one of you two in a way that is more uh, prominent. Yes, I have a question assigned as well, GM. My tattoo is on my right shoulder blade, and it is underneath my coat and clothing, so... Would the glowing be seen underneath the clothes? Um, I think it would be seen in certain wavelengths. I see. But if it's obscured, like then you wouldn't necessarily see it, but you would probably feel it kind of, a bit, it'd be a bit warmer. Maeve's is right, like on her collarbone, visible because she has the billowy pirate shirt. And she just kind of looks down and she goes, see, Z must have used the copper. That is why I don't need copper. That is a bad side effect it looked like. Ah, oh, I see your Five Breathing Kittens logo is glowing. And all of a sudden, I feel a bit of warmth on mine here. And he's past his shoulder. 
now that you say that, my neck is feeling a little bit warm, and I pull up my hair, and I I show my compatriots. I say, "Hey, is this glowing too?" Yes, and it would appear so. I wonder. You said no copper, but perhaps you have some kind of copper intake. Hey, listen to me, okay? I do not eat copper. No offense to you, Maeve. Eating copper is your right. <laughs> I don't eat copper, so don't even accuse me of that, okay? This is something different. Bartholomew takes some time to remove his shirt and coat and check to see if he's glowing as well. I don't remember eating copper as well, but I'm glowing as well. Maybe someone slipped some copper into my coffee this morning. Maeve? I would not waste my copper on you. It is sometimes very hard to find these elements to make the glow pretty and I need them for uh, particular cities where uh, the orange mave may not be as welcome as uh, a different colored mave. Okay, I know you're trying to uh, go real hard on the uh, copper theory. However, I have not have copper. All of us are glowing. It probably has something to do with the thing we just signed on the, the, uh, the whatever we signed. And it sounds like we have a time limit to get out of here before something terrible happens, you know? Ah, uh, I see. Yes. Should head out immediately then. I don't want to be stuck like a, uh, a deer with the headlights, you know? I will say during that exchange, none of you noticed, but the office and death just faded into nothingness, leaving you behind. Uh, the, whole, the whole thing, your whole surroundings just kind of evaporated. And now you're standing in what appears to be quite a large marketplace. It's a weird mishmash of different cultures. So you have like kind of a bizarre type thing. You've got like large temples. There are some like uh, what you can see are like green translucent buildings kind of like towering from that. They all seem to be quite ethereal. But coming back into your own heads from talking about whatever it was you were talking about. <laughs> so I am looking around and I uh, elbow Bartholomew and Maeve with, with, with both my elbows. I'm between them, elbowing them both simultaneously. And I say, are you seeing what I am seeing? This is like a mismatch of cultures, a bazaar over here and temples over here and a, a translucent glass over there. This must be uh, part of the land of the dead that we must find our way through. We should have asked the death man for the map. But uh, and she pulls out, she has a compass and pops it open. Is it doing anything? Uh, Spinning violently. (laughs) See, this man has broken the compass. And I suppose we could explore the bazaar or explore the area and see if... I mean, how are we to are we to travel to escape? Is there some kind of gate, or are we supposed to like check off? Uh, yes, we are the good people because uh, I am not necessarily what you would traditionally call a the good person. Well, you say you're a pirate. You should know where we we should find this ferryman, or boatman. We're supposed to look for a boatman to bring us back to the land of the living. Hey, a GM. Are there mm-hmm. many people? around us or is it just like uh buildings and stuff yeah the, yeah there are quite a few people around you so if you were to look at them in any sort of detail they look quite strange so some look quite similar to you but almost as if you dried them out a bit they look quite gaunt quite pale whereas some others look almost see-through 
like you can see kind of their skeleton and like you can basically see through them and they're all kind of going about their day-to-day so they've got people selling different wares hopefully no one asks too much otherwise i'll have to make something up (laughs) so there's a lot of shouting around the place and weirdly enough you hear one voice above all the others shouting incredibly incredibly loudly so you hear the, the the voice echoing off different walls of like the temples and different uh, statues and say, How dare you accuse me of treachery? Do you know who I am? My name is Arturo Contenza Bilanzo de Medici and I will not be spoken to by someone of your ill repute. Hey, that guy has a good sounding last name. He probably good looking too, I don't know. With a name like that, you gotta be, you know? Anyway, let's go see what this loud man is talking about. Uh, by the way, I do not tell my, uh, my friends, but I say to myself, this, there are ghosts everywhere. So I whisper a little prayer to myself and I kiss my onyx uh, in, uh, a necklace, my pendant. It's my good luck charm, but I kiss it because I don't want to be affected by the ghost. Okay, so how about we call this, if you're trying to find the source of the voice, we'll instigate a challenge. Is this a group challenge? No. What okay. we'll do is we'll have it, because Armando is kind of leading the charge, it's your want to do this. We'll just have Armando roll this. So I'm just going to roll 1d6 on this. So let's say if you win, then you can find your way through the bazaar to the source of this shouting man. If I win, let's say, oh, here's a, here's a, here's a good one. If I win, you can still find your way through but someone is going to bump into you on the way and you will mysteriously find that everything you seem to take with you into the afterlife has mysteriously disappeared. I don't know if I like that very much because I have my good luck necklace, my pendant. I don't want to lose that. So can I renegotiate? Like this is a bargaining exchange, right? I can negotiate with you further. I'll just briefly explain. So for these uh, challenges... You've got a couple of things you can do to increase the number of dice you roll. So you've got traits, you can use those, which are effectively words to describe your character. You get one every time you level up. And for the purposes of this one shot, I think everyone's got three traits you've chosen. So just three words to describe your character. So Amando, for example, what are your traits? So my traits are honorable, a superstitious, and emotional. Okay, so what you would do if you wanted to try and use one of those traits is you go, okay, my character is superstitious, so I'm going to give you a bit of a freebie here for an idea. You'd go, because I'm superstitious, I'm holding on right close to the most precious thing, which is my necklace. Therefore, it would be immensely unlikely for someone to pickpocket it because I'm physically holding on to it, at which point I would go, yeah, that makes sense. Take another 1d6, 2d6, we'd kind of agree on it. That is kind of what I was going to do, but not hold it the whole time. I thought like my little prayer would do something. But uh, yes, I will take your freebie because I will not look a gift horse in the mouth. Holding the necklace. And so is that extra d6 then or? Uh, Yeah, we'll give you an extra d6 on that one. So that puts you up to 2d6. Okay. It would be at that point, then you could, if you wanted, you could try and bargain for extra effects. So if if you were like... Hey, if I win, then we can get some extra goodies for me. Maybe oh, I can find yeah, this yeah, person yeah. easier. Or maybe like if you win, then 
then something something bad happens that you kind of choose, or maybe you want to provide me extra dice. Okay, here's what's going to happen. But you don't uh, have to. No, I think this is a perfect exercise, and I am more than willing to try it out. So I got the two dice. You have one. I'm going. I would like to add one more because I am emotional, and this is a very emotional situation. So. I am, my head is on a swivel. I am very aware of my surroundings. I am very um, not afraid, but ready. You know, because I yeah. am I am prepared. Ah, however, I will give you an extra dice if and if I win. Uh, we find a beautiful hat for Maeve, like uh, like gorgeous, like it is uh, wrought by the gods themselves. Uh, like incredible. Yeah, I like those odds. So we're up to 3d6 for Armando and then 2d6 for me. So at, at this point, that's what we, we've kind of, we agree on what's going to happen if Armando wins, what happens if I win. So at, the, at this point, if I win, then you still get stuff stolen off you. That is fair. Like, I, I do not want, does that include my necklace that I am holding? Yes. So okay. despite all that, for narrative reasons, we'll call it, then that stuff gets stolen. So, so at this point, we roll. Well, I've got good news for you. Okay. I rolled two ones. That is ve- very good news. <laughs> so, <laughs> kind of wasted my roll. I don't know if you can see that. It's a Ooh. a six four four. Six and two fours. Yeah. <laughs> can you imagine the hat that Maeve is going to get? I should ask for something for Bartholomew. I'm sorry, Bartholomew. Oh, think nothing of it. Next time, I ask for a security system, like an anti-eating. <laughs> for your horse <laughs> <laughs> okay so how this sorts itself out is that you pinpoint the source of this shouty shouty voice uh, you follow it through the crowd it's a bit of a you know people jostling someone attempts to steal something of yours but you just elbow him in the face uh, so yeah you manage to find the source of this voice and the hat this uh, beautiful what would your ideal hat look like in fact Maeve her ideal hat would be like a handcrafted leather pirate captain's hat with a very ornate feather coming out the back and it like fits so perfectly that it would take either like a deliberate purpose or like an weather act of god to get it off of her head wouldn't that be a bicorn hat I believe is what you're thinking of it's the one that has the two Things it's it's got the real big thing in the like center. Like Captain Crunch? No, not like Captain Crunch. Oh, more never like mind. more like a tricorn. Yeah, a tricorn. Mm. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's nothing wrong with Captain Crunch and his hat. He's very nice. <laughs> 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 uh, but yes, it would just like complete her aesthetic. But also, she'd with it being a tricorn, she'd be able to like duck her head and not stare her burning eyes into people's skulls. Oh, yeah, that was one of the main issues. That's right. I keep seeing dots everywhere I look from looking at your eyes earlier. It's like the little purple dots everywhere. <laughs> like you stare at the sun too long. That's what I'm seeing all over the place. This hat, like you see it. And weirdly enough, it's on the head of someone stood next to the person doing all the shouting. And as you approach, the shouting man is still very much in an argument with a shopkeeper. And he's kind of like waving his arms around and making all sorts of rude hand gestures, which we can't replicate in an audio medium. 
but then he kind of turns to the person next to him and just goes, Maria, talk some sense into this man. And this person turns and kind of lifts their head up. And Armando, you have the startling revelation that these two people, one of them wearing the hat of Maeve's dreams, are your parents. <laughs> so, like, I did not describe my skin tone at the beginning of the game. But it is like fairly tan, light tan, but the blood drains from my face. I go completely white because my parents are not good people. They are very dishonorable. I do not want to have anything to do with them in the living life or the afterlife. This, is, this was a mistake, and I'm sorry for leading us here to these terrible people. Uh, but that hat is very nice. We can take maybe the hat. I feel obligated <laughs> to say, hello, mother. Hello, father. Your uh, father turns to you and he looks very different to how you remember him in life, mostly uh, due to the rather gaping stab wound in his chest. Uh, yes. I turn to Bartholomew and Maven and say, they were assassinated many years ago. That is to explain the big holes in them. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Don't be. They are terrible people. <laughs> oh, oh. It's true. Then it sounds like they got what they deserved, and uh, I see the hat of my dreams. Should I try being charming, or should I just uh, do a little bit of smacking? Because uh, I have not gotten to fight in uh, about uh, 24 hours, and I am feeling a little twitchy. I will say they are very slimy, so be careful if you try to negotiate. However, I don't know what fighting is like with somebody who is already dead. And I don't know if that will throw us down to the boat. So maybe we, I don't know. Let's see what they have to say. And then maybe we find out. I don't know. I might let you do the talking. I don't, I do not like my parents. So I will say, whilst you're kind of having this little aside conversation, there is this ethereal kind of boom, boom, boom. It's the same bong you heard while you're in the waiting room. And you kind of like look at each other and you see that each of your bodies are starting to go incrementally more transparent mm. as you go. You know, in Back to the Future, where Marty's hand starts to start fading, it's kind of like that, but just you've turned the opacity slider down on yourselves by about 10%. <laughs> well, this doesn't seem very good. I believe we're running out of time. Got to find this ferryman as fast as possible. But that hat. <laughs> but priorities. Uh, so your father turns to you and goes, And who do you think you are? Eh? Father, it is me. It is Armando. Armando? No, it cannot be. I remember my son and he was nowhere near as fat as you. She punches him. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to be a seal. Like, I'm just going to take it in my shoulders. My shoulders slump a little bit. Maeve is going for a swing that unhooks the chain. She's swinging and going for that. You know what? Yeah, sure. Why not? We're not. It's not going to go into full fledged combat. No, no. She's just. She's just like. I like these people, and there's a very cool hat, and I have not gotten to hit anything in 24 hours. And she has the um, trait of brash, by the way. So uh, she's going to brashly take a swing. <laughs> I love your new character. All right. So how about we say. We'll kind of mush together some of the combat rules. And like normally, if you're unarmed, you kind of start off with 1d6 in combat because you're brash, as you said. 
we can, if you want, you can add an extra 1d6 onto that. Meanwhile, I will just roll 1d6 as a defense. So how combat works is basically, it's, it's the exact same as challenges. You just roll slightly different numbers of dice. So in this case, Maeve is rolling 2d6 to an attack. Arturo is rolling 1d6 for defense. If Maeve wins the roll, then the attack connects and damage is done. But if Arturo wins it, as in, you know, the roll is higher, then the attack does not connect. Sweet. Arturo rolled a three. Maeve rolled a six. Yes. Okay. So, so what, what is it? What does this look like? Paint us, paint us a picture. You're not doing uh, like, like damage, damage, but like you're really clocking him. No, Maeve, um, here's the comment and she was already in motion but she saw out of the corner of her eye the way that armando kind of shrunk in and it just like renews it in her uh, and she is just like completely sucker punching him she's trying to get between him and the woman enough that when she turns around she can get the hat uh, and go back to armando um, and as she's swinging, she says, that is not how you talk to your son. You must treat him with respect. He is an adventurer and you are an asshole. <laughs> Love it. You can pardon her French. She is French. Um, I think at this point, I, Arturo is just kind of shocked more than anything. Because not only is this person talking to an esteemed individual such as himself, but she's made physical contact and it hurts. You can kind of almost see he, he's been dead for 11 years. So like previously his face was like kind of gaunt as anything, but like you can see it kind of almost turning completely red through the anger that's surging through his system. So uh, Maria, who is Armando's mother, just kind of steps in between you and goes, hey, that's enough. That's enough. My my Spanish accent is ropey at best, insulting at worst. So no, it's it, it, it's the same situation as the room we were in with the accents get all crazy. Yeah, so it's, yeah, the land the of the life. dead. <laughs> accents go bananas in the land of the dead. Uh, so Maria steps between us, and Maeve is like, "Well, first of all, I have worked for the royalty before, and just because you are the royalty or whatever hoity toity you think you are, does not make you better than the next person. And I have taught that to two very, very stuck-up princes. I can teach it to you, you big fat man. And uh, the uh, your hat, madam, is very, very the, the perfect, and I would very much like uh, a little copy if not the original item and uh, if you continue to insult my friend i will continue this uh this uh retraining of your husband we can't phrase it like that i hope you are not uh, as much of a uh, poor person as he is when i hear this my eyes get like even bigger like i feel him frozen a little bit i'm shocked that she hit my father and it's like i feel like i wish i would have done that myself but that's not something I do. It's, they, are, they are terrible people. So my eyes just get bigger. Maeve, how would you feel about another challenge real quick? Let's do it. Because at the moment you're trying to simultaneously diffuse the situation that you've started and also trying to get a hat off this woman. Oh, she doesn't care about diffusing the situation. The man can be mad. She wants the hat. Okay, you're trying to get a hat off a woman whose husband you just punched in the face. Yes, yes. <laughs> that seems difficult. 
Um, so let's say I will roll. Let's make it tricky. Let's say three d six because, as I said, you're trying to get a hat off a woman whose husband you just punched in the face. Tarith, very audacious. <laughs> it's a tricky uh, thing to do. So she is brash in anger, but she can also be. Uh, it could be brash in the way she's trying to charm the pants off this woman while simultaneously beating her husband to a pulp. <laughs> I, I, I think brash in the way of being kind of cheeky, you know? Yes, there we go. So uh, I, I would allow the usage of that trait for one or d6. I like so those you're odds. Up to, you're up to two at the moment. So at the moment, if you win, then she'll kind of respect the moxie, I think, and just go, you know what? You're not worth our time, but I, I respect it. Take my hat. It looks like it, you need some extra fashion everything's going to be a backhanded thing with that them. sound like my mother <laughs> <laughs> uh but if i win she will call whatever passes for security in the afterlife but you always have the option of utilizing context which is usually in the case of any like uh, character backgrounds should they be relevant in this case you might be able to try and leverage her son is literally right there, so you might be able to play on some familial connections there, whether you've got any items on your person which may be relevant. Oh, um, I, I have one. Uh, Maeve turns to his mother and uh, says, uh, uh, Madam, it does seem like your husband is uh, stressful in his, uh, his life to you, and... Uh, it must be very hard being married to uh, such a uh, person. And uh, I have, uh, and she's digging in her pocket and she pulls out a silver flask. And she says, uh, this was given to me and it is full of uh, the liquor. I feel like you would uh, perhaps need this in your day-to-day -day life. And it supposedly is very haunted. And it's uh, not haunted. It comes from uh, some kind of land of dead kind of weird uh, I, I'm place and so it seems like it would fit in here very very well so I would love to offer this to you as well if I uh, to help you just through your day to day life okay yeah so uh, stick on an extra 1d6 for that so you're up to 3 now Sweet. Uh, if you're comfortable with your numbers at the moment then we can roll otherwise you can always bargain or you've got one stress point at the moment because you're we're all playing at level 1 so you can use those to just add an extra d6 on in a pinch. Or if you need to, at some point, if you've got a luck roll, you can use those to re-roll that just the one time. So they're a precious resource, but you are free to use them when you see fit. I am ready to roll. Okay, ready to roll 3d6 each. Okay. Let's get some of that foley in there. Well, my dice are not playing. Okay, so my highest roll in all, after all that was a three. Oh, sweet. I had a six, a one, and a five. All right, so Maria will look you up and down and go, you're not worth my time. But first things first, I love this man. He is not a, the best person in the world, but neither am I. It's true. Do you really think he got where he was just by himself? No, it was all me. The, the flask is still yours, if you would like it. Uh, I know sometimes... Oh, yes, I will, I will take the flask gladly. We'll share it later on. But you you need to get out of our sight, all right? Look, take the hat. You look like you could do with uh, fashion advice. 
So you take this and you take it to the nearest tailor and you say, fix me. Uh, of course, but uh, just so you know, and Maeve's backing away back to her friends, uh, the murderer does not take fashion from uh, the victims, no? And backs away. <laughs> it's not a very good insult, but it's what she can think of in the moment. <laughs> I think you are overwhelmed by the beautiful hat, and I don't blame you. It is beautiful. By the way, I would like to say when you were walking back with the hat from my mother, uh, I was a little suspicious. Because you are a pirate, and pirates do not have honor. And I do not like people with no honor. I was very disconcerted having to work with you. <sighs> However, once I see how what you do for me, and how you stood up to some pretty terrible people, and you, you restore my honor, I am now a, you can count me as a close friend. I will die for you. Oh, that is so sweet. Uh, do any of you need anything else? Should uh, I f- am feeling very satisfied. Uh, I have gotten to punch and look at my hat. Yes, your hat is very beautiful, actually. But uh, as you can see, we are slowly disappearing. I believe we're running out of time. We need to find this, this port as soon as we can. I agree. Yes, uh, the death uh, did tell us how to find it. Uh, lead uh-huh. the way, Bartholomew. Well, I do have a bit of experience with ships. I've... Actually, yes. Yes, after me. I'm going to go ahead and shout while you are trying to discuss who's going to do I shout at the bazaar and say, Hey, does anybody know where the boatman is? <laughs> okay, if I could just pause it there briefly. Leveling up in this game is not like leveling up in other TTRPGs. So you don't have, like, XP that you get every single time. You level up by growing as a character, so your character achieves things they want to achieve, or maybe they come across like different emotional barriers that they can get past, or maybe there's trauma. There's all sorts of trauma in people's backstories, let's face it. If you get over that or grow as a person or become a slightly more multifaceted being, then that's warranting a level up. So in this case, I think both Armando and Maeve have warranted a level up with that interaction. If you're playing in a regular campaign, we're just doing a one-shot at the moment. If you're doing a regular campaign, you have to wait till downtime to level up. In a one-shot, it's basically instantaneous, but we are getting fairly close to a break. So I'll just ask you to do it during the break, just so we don't have to pause it uh, for the moment. But yes, you two can level up uh, during the break. And yes, Armando yells out, (laughs) does anyone know where the boat guy is? And I'm not even going to make you roll for this because you, you did get instructions. So like a voice just from the back yells back, yeah, it's down by the river. You see all those big masts? Of course. Big masts down there. Yeah, it's down there. It's where all the ships are, idiot. I was distracted by the beautiful hat. And uh, Bartholomew is looking pretty good too. I mean, like his outfit is pretty nice. Well, thank you. Yes, tricorn hats are in style at the moment. I'm not a hat man, but on you, that looks great. Well, thank you very much. So to the river then? Yes. To the river. You follow the instructions that were given to you in the first place. Sorry, I was I was not paying attention. I think that is very clear right now. No, but that, that's fair enough. You follow both sets of instructions. Uh, down towards the river, you do see boats kind of in the harbour, but they're mostly fishing boats, which is strange because you wouldn't have thought necessarily that dead people need to eat, but eh, who knows what they're for. Um, At the end of a long, long pier, you see another hooded figure just stood menacingly next to 
a boat with no sails and no oars, and you think, this is just weird enough to be the person. <laughs> Bartholomew walks up. Excuse me, good sir, are you the ferryman? I, that I am. We would like to take a trip uh, back to the living. Ah, is that right? Can I see, uh, what do we call them? Credentials? Com- yeah, that's the word, yeah. Yes, uh, we weren't given anything, were we? I think you got a lot of unbuttoning to do. He probably wants to see your glowing tattoo. Oh, yes, yes, of course. He starts it's to... It's going to take a while, Boardman. That's all right, I got time. Yeah, so Bartholomew yeah, not, not takes his shirt, his coat off, and shows him the tattoo on his shoulder blade. And my compatriots here also have the same tattoo. I move my luscious hair, and I show my tattoo. Babe just kind of gestures to her collarbone. No, no, I notice it's fine. All right, that checks out. Uh, last thing, it's traditional at this point for you to uh, cross my palm with silver. You get my meaning? Well, I do actually have a bit of silver right here. And he reaches into his ammunition pocket and pulls out three silver bullets. Uh, so, sorry, mate, wrong uh, wrong type of silver. Is There's actually a specific type you need. Add. You gotta be it, kidding uh, me. I mean... It, uh, Where are we supposed to get silver in this place? Death should have told you, you know, you weren't talking while they were trying to explain, were you? Of course not. We are polite. Do you not think we are polite? I am not z- polite. Uh, is there anybody walking? There's people walking around the docks, right? Uh, yeah. Can Maeve step back, bump into one and pickpocket them and step forward? <laughs> yeah. Uh, well... <laughs> she is a pirate. Oh. Like, yeah, I, I, I won't turn it into a challenge. We'll, ju- we'll just uh, stick it into a luck roll. So like, if you win, you will get a silver piece and let's say some fish bait. Fair enough. If I win, then they're about to find someone digging through their pockets and we'll, ju- we'll, ju- we'll just kind of slap you away and kind of curse you out a bit. Fair enough. Just the 1d6 each. Uh, three, mm-hmm. two, one, roll. Ooh, I got a five this time. Got a two. <laughs> Okay, so let's say it's it's a couple walking along the docks. They both look... Well, everyone looks quite gaunt around here because, you know, they're dead. But you kind of try and sidle up and be quite suave about it. But whilst you're digging in their pockets, your head slightly tilts and that massive feather kind of droops <laughs> in front of their face and kind of tickles their nose and the whoop, 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 get out of here. Uh, I, apologies, uh, this is what I think, but many apologies, and she just backs back up, and then she looks at the ferryman and goes, see, the silver is not available, what do you suggest we do? Bloody tourists. <laughs> <laughs> Bartholomew reaches into his backpack, well, I don't have any silver pieces with me, and if silver, alchemically silver-coated bullets won't do, I've got something more valuable than silver, inspiration. Here, take a look at this magazine here. It is the Inspirer, written by yours truly. Is that the one with the crossword puzzle on the back? The very same. I love that magazine. This is a recent edition I've written in the past week. It's the second edition since I've been in Nicomoy. Many current events happening there, including the zombie curse that was affecting Karmic Hills. It is appropriately titled, you know. It is very inspiring. Yes, and isn't inspiration worth more than silver? GM, I would like to roll a contested roll. Don't worry, I, I was just waiting until you finished talking. <laughs> yes. To say that. Yes, so is, here comes a challenge for Bartholomew. So you're trying to convince the boatman to accept 
a magazine in place of regular payment. Yes, and I would like to use the trait eloquent. Let's call it a 2d6 difficulty, so that's what I'm going to mm-hmm. roll. And I've got 2d6 as well. Let's do it. Certainly eloquent. I'd say that's definitely within your wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. So at the moment, the terms would be if you win, he will accept your magazine as payment on the basis mm-hmm. that he's about to finish work for the day. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming they've got days in the afterlife. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's, he's, he's about to clock off. It sounds like a union job. So, yeah. you know, he probably has a lot of time off. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, afterlife boat keepers have a very strong union. <laughs> I, I believe it. And it appropriately so, it's a dangerous job. If I win, then he will not accept that and insist on correct payment, which will be explained to you afterwards. But if you're happy with that, you can still feel free to use any other traits or you know context you've still got a stress point if you want to add that on or if you want to try and bargain i thought of bargaining but in this context he wouldn't bargain because he's more humble and genuine than to try to bargain you're bargaining with me not the boatkeeper ah uh, think about bargaining less about your character bargaining, actually bargaining more about the the player mm bargaining with the GM. I've already rolled 2d6 and I rolled a 6 and a 2. Okay. So, so you went for it anyway. All right. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. And then I got a 4 and a 2. So resolution passes. I do hope you enjoy reading this. It'll inspire you and bring you up to... I'm not sure if you'd be able to bring yourself up to the realm of the living or if you're bound here, but my town is in dire need of assistance. I hope you can appreciate I'm not exactly one to get out much but I, I do appreciate the reading material and you know what i'm about to clock off anyway so uh if you don't tell i won't understood thank you so much for understanding all right everyone let's get on the boat all right everyone hop on and uh i think that's probably where we'll call it for this half of the episode well thank you fairman <laughs> you're welcome i thought i'd be a, a mouthpiece for the the ever almighty gm you know how it goes <laughs> <laughs> Part of my job, you see. Union rules. <laughs> As that very handsome otherworldly boatman said, it's uh, we're going to call it for this half of the episode. We're going to be back in just a f- few short moments. All you need to do is just keep your podcast player playing. It's real easy for you. But, of course, if you fancy doing something else... In the meantime, you can always leave us a nice rating and review on whatever podcast platform you happen to be listening on. They're always very much appreciated. And if you leave a particularly nice one, then we will read it on here in any voice that you choose. You do have to specify, otherwise it will be drawn at random from a hat. We do have a collective hat and we we do draw from it. It is a nice hat. It's not as nice as Maeve's hat, but you know, what, what can you do? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, well, the thing with like Maeve's hat and Bartholomew's hat is they're not very, you know, good for balancing. They, they're quite wobbly hats, but that's not a conversation for now. We're going to have a quick break and you can just listen right on through to the next part. We'll see you in a bit. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Today's mid-episode shout out is, quote, to the environmental advocate Greta. Your tireless efforts to protect our planet inspire me every day. Your work really makes a difference. End quote. 
you can arrange for us to read your shout-out at firebreathingkittenspodcast.com. Is there an episode of Fire Breathing Kittens that you think someone you know would like? Tell them about it. And did you know we have paperback and hardcover adaptations of our adventures on Amazon and Audible? Go find them. Bye. Bong, bong, bong. What's that? It's the bell of doom calling all souls to the next world. Oh yeah, sorry. Wrong show. Welcome back to the Fire Breathing Kittens podcast. We are in our second half of this particular episode, which is called, who knows, we figure it out afterwards. But uh, joining us again for this second half, they haven't run off, they haven't <laughs> abandoned us, which is always good to hear. Good in a relationship to not run off halfway through. Uh, <laughs> still here after all this <laughs> is Armando. Yes, I'm still here. I'm on the boat. I'm very excited to be alive again. Bartholomew? Well, we have managed to pay our way through literature onto this ferry boat to the land of the living. And Maeve. This is not the ocean, but the river will do for now. Yes, so just to quickly recap the first half, everyone's dead. It's very embarrassing. They have to find their way back to the land of the living before time runs out and they are stuck forever in the land of the dead. Also, Maeve punched a man. And now has a hat. It was my father. Yeah. It was amazing. I have no regrets. Uh, nor should you. They're on a boat now. They've just uh, paid the boatman with a magazine instead of silver. And they are off uh, towards the gate of the underworld. So uh, how this boat works is the boatman kind of stands right at the back. It's kind of like a gondola. He's stood at the back. There's no paddle or anything, but he's kind of controlling the boat as we go. You three are just kind of sat quite comfortably. I think, Armando, you have the, the lowest bar for comfort, so you're probably the most comfortable because they're kind of Oh, this is benches. very nice. This is like a, a luxury uh, a chip. Bartholomew is sitting comfortably. Um, he doesn't have any coffee with them. He's a bit distraught, but... He's keeping his mind busy, writing poetry about the adventure he's currently on with his two companions. Maeve is kind of leaning over the side, dunking her hand into the water, cooling it off, pulling it out, reigniting the underneath, because she's just trying to see if it changes the color of her hand. Are you sure you should be touching that water? I mean, maybe it is not water. That is the hope, is it not? Maybe I discover a new element and get to be a different color? I like your color already, but uh, I mean, you could also um, uh, melt your hand off. That sounds pretty bad. Oh, that's right. I was trying to pay the ferryman with this, this silver bullet here. See if it does something for you. It's not pure silver, but it's coated in silver powder. And he hands you one of his silver bullets. Uh, Maeve takes out an arrow and like scrapes some of the silver off and then puts it on her mm -hmm. tongue. And in case you are wondering, I did research this. Nothing changes because silver doesn't give off a color when it's lit on fire and consumed by fire. Oh, that's a shame. But you can keep that bullet. It's nice knowing I don't have to fight zombies all the time. Especially those revenants from Summerfell. 
this is uh, very nice of you. Thank you. I will find another use for the silver. Unfortunately, it looks like uh, it uh, does not do anything. Uh, my quest continues. Since I was very successful in my hat quest, I am very positive that we can accomplish all of your goals and uh, all of my little uh, curiosities. Oh, yes, indeed. As you're uh, chatting away happily, the boat moves out of the kind of dock area, the harbour, and starts to move further up river where the signs of civilization start to fade away. It takes a while to pass through the rest of whatever you want to call that bit of the land of the dead. And soon you're kind of in the, the wilds. So as the boat goes along, it cuts through the water and you start to see these little green lights underneath the water in the wake of the boat as it goes along and you just kind of stare at them for a moment. They're very peaceful to look at despite not knowing what they are and uh, the boat driver, Elms, the boat keeper, there we go. I don't know a lot about boats. Uh, you could just say the boatman. Yeah. He is a boatman. Yeah. Uh, the boatman, now the, the difficult part of steering around other people's boats has kind of subsided. He's got quite a lot of uh, free time now. So he kind of just starts talking to you uh, three a bit. Well, he's now got the <laughs> the magazine kind of rolled up in his back, back pocket of his robe uh, for later. And he says, has anyone ever told you how the, the afterlife came to be? Was it not always forever like existing or what, what do you mean? Oh, well, I mean, it's always existed as a, in a sense. I mean, you know, if you quantify afterlife being the moment post-life, then yeah, it's, it's always appeared. It's just uh, in the last oh, million or so years, your time, uh, that we've started to make it a bit more user-friendly. So previously, what would happen is uh, you go straight from life to the nothingness of the abyss, right? And trying to make that sell, you know, if you're the one taking the person from the land of the living to the abyss, that's a tough sell, right? So people try and refuse, they run away, and that's how you get spirits. That's how you get ghosts. It's people with unfinished business who want to stick around in the land of the living, but then, you know, there's no space for them afterwards. They don't want to go onto the abyss, which is, you know, fair enough. So some time ago, death, they decided to uh, get this kind of in-between place, this land of the dead, you see, and kind of act as a bit of a halfway house so that people go from the land of the living to the land of the dead where they can get over any kind of unresolved issues, this uh, unfinished business, as we like to call it. They can get through that here. And then when they're ready, they just shift on over to the the abyss and... Uh, it's actually quite tidy, really. We got about, I don't know if they mentioned you in onboarding, they've got several, it's a good several thousand different versions of the afterlife running at once. It's actually quite a neat system. Being a ghost and oh, yeah, haunting yeah, yeah. like the land of the living, if that is like the, the path we would like to choose, is that something we can do? Like, do we get to pick where we haunt or like what is the situation there? Well, I mean, times have changed a little bit, uh, I guess. See, usually what happens is that people are much more amenable to going to the land of the dead 
So we have nowhere near as many people kind of refusing to go. It's, you know, in cases such as yours for like accidental stuff, you're not really in the place to, you know, follow on to the next life. So that's why we take you to the waiting room and you can kind of talk through things with death. So you can, you know, make an informed choice about your uh, afterlife preferences, as they like to call them, because they are, you know, nerds. I did not think death would require so much consent. Like I thought it was just the way it was, you know? I mean, I'll tell you, man, there's a lot of paperwork now. There's a lot of red tape. <laughs> as mm. Bartholomew's listening to the fam and talking about death and how souls depart and souls will stick around, he's reminded of the task at hand he's dealing with from home, the zombies coming from Summerfell, why they keep returning, why he has fought even his father in the undeath coming back as a zombie and is curious. And he asked the ferryman, do you happen to know anything about the undead at Summerfell? Or is that too far gone and too specific for you to know? Well, I mean, I don't get, uh, <laughs> we, we don't exactly get the papers down here if you get my drift. I see. It's... Uh... But, you know, it's, it's, I, can, I can take an educate, un, uneducated, we don't have school there, uneducated guess as to why uh, things might be coming back. The thing is, I mean, once souls have passed from the land of the living to the land of the dead, you know, their bodies are basically just left out in the land of the living, right? You know, only a soul can pass into the land of the dead. So once that's happened, then the body is basically free use for any malcontent who happens to stumble along it malcontent i've heard of stories of horrible individuals you know using armies of undead perhaps that might be what's happening they're being brought back to life i'll bet on that like if, especially mm. if they keep coming back that's the trick but yeah like the thing is like at the point of death the soul just moves on to the the land of the dead and that's why we do all that um what, sorry, what did you say your name was? I might have... Bartholomew Salvador. We used to do a, a work placement uh, in different offices, so I... Actually, and though, give me a luck roll. Come on. We'll, we'll, do, we'll do this mechanically, luck mm. roll. Okay. One. Ugh. <laughs> I got a three. So, oh. Nah, sorry. Unless your old man was a hamster, you're out of luck. Unfortunately, no. He was, and he says solemnly, he was a mountain clover. I, 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 I should mention, you can use a stress point to re-roll a luck roll, but only the once. So if you fancy getting a bit more, if you if you want to try that one again, you can. Um, yeah, sure. I'll use my stress point to do a re-roll. I got to. <laughs> nope. Well, no, that's a shame. But, you know, if, as I said, you know, if, uh, if a living person dies, they just go onto the land of the dead and then... You know, the body is left in the land of the living. And yeah, if, uh, if someone uses magic, say, they can just kind of bring him back as a as a soulless meat bag, really. Well, I'll be honest. It brings a bit of relief to me. I can bring that home and let my family know that our loved ones are not being tortured. I do appreciate the information you've imparted on me. That's all right. We all do a week's training in tour guides slash therapy. So it's a... Uh, you can tell it's a bit of a tough position to be in. Oh, yes. I'm well aware. I've heard of some stories of fire-breathing kittens with boat rides and therapy. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but sure. Why not? It, it's a callback to an early episode from last season, and you were the GM for it. I just think it's funny that it's happening again. I was being <laughs> character, sir. 
The English call that acting. Acting. <laughs> I once tread the boards as Richard the Third, you know. <laughs> and Maeve's old character was a part of that episode as well. Do you remember? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's funny. <laughs> it seems like early episode being run by this GM has to do with boats and therapy. To be fair, I have very little <laughs> memory of most of the adventures I've done. That's why it's so fun. That's why it's so funny. So I have a question for the the boatman, if you are, because I am overhearing this conversation with Bartholomew, and I have in my mind that I have to write down on my calendar once I am alive again to help him with this zombie like apocalypse or whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, I want to do it honorably because I am an honorable man, and I want to know, Mister Boatman, if I am a, a slaughtering zombies. Is that a problem, like, uh, morally speaking, or am I damaging the souls of anybody, or what's happening there? Well, I mean, I can say you're not damaging the souls. That's that's a given. Uh, I mean, as far as morality is concerned, each person's morals are individual to the self, and I um, can't possibly impose my own morals on you and tell you what's right and what's wrong. You have to decide that for yourself, blah, blah, blah. Day two of the training. So there is no like code or nothing like honorable, uh, what is dishonorable or honorable for death itself? Oh, no, no, no not like, uh, not messages from on high. No, you decide that for yourself, mate. Mm. I'm a little mistrust. So I'm not uh, communicating this to the boatman, but I'm a little mistrusting of death. Like, come on, you need to have a code. Uh, that would be a better for everybody. But I'm thinking that to myself. It's not communicating to anybody. Fair enough. Are the lights still going off in the river? Uh, I'm glad you brought that up. Well, because <laughs> because if one comes close enough to the surface of the water, Maeve is going to try to grab it. Good. <laughs> because, uh, as luck would have it, one uh, comes slightly towards the surface and Maeve will try and grab it. You kind of reach your hands down into the into the river to grab the light and what you pull out is how would i describe it how have i written it's like a glowing green kind of skeletal fish Mm. and what it has is some huge teeth and a mean look and once you pull it out then all the other green lights in the river which so happily beforehand were just bobbing along following the boat now all seem to just stop briefly and rush towards the boat. Oops. And we are going to enter combat. Uh-oh. So, I'm glad you did that. So yeah, how combat works in this is each character has three different weapons. One of them is magic, one of them is melee, one of them is ranged. Out of combat, you can switch between them as much as you like. But in combat, for the most part, you just stick with a one. You can switch on your turn, but you can't attack on that same turn. The order we do it is governed by the weapon speed stat. Uh, Weapons have three stats, attack, defense, and speed. So speed governs the order we're gonna do things. So the higher the stat, the faster you are, therefore the quicker you move. We already did it a little bit earlier, but if you're attacking, then you roll your attack dice, which may be like 1d6, 2d6, 3d6, whatever. And then if you're being attacked, you roll your defense dice, which, again, 1d6, 2d6, 3d6, blah, 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 blah. If your attack is successful, then you do one minor wound, unless you bargain 
to upgrade it. Unless stated otherwise, things that will do damage to you will do one minor wound. If you take three minor wounds, you get a major wound. So minor wounds are like bumps, scrapes, cuts, bruises, that sort of thing. Major wounds are a bit more of a pain, like a big slash or a concussion, or maybe a finger gets chopped off. If you get three major wounds, so or nine minor wounds, that's you dead, son. So we'll try and avoid that. I haven't made this particularly difficult just for testing the system, but we're going to start things off. Okay, so can I just ask what speeds everyone has? One. One. I also have a one. Okay, one for everyone then. Okay, so um, I'm going to give a quick free go to Maeve because you've kind of instigated this. You've picked up this big glowy fish is going at you. What do you do? Oh, by the, by the way, I, I will just kind of be up front. There are going to be um, four kind of fishies to fight off. They're each going to need one minor wound to retreat. So basically just hit them once and then they'll bugger off. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, I think I figured out the mechanics of it. Um... <laughs> it's all right. We'll, we'll learn as we go. We'll, well learn as we go. I was trying to think of how this will work but i think i figured it out so she's holding it is she holding yeah. it by <laughs> like the top the tail it's up to you how, how do you think uh, you're the one who picked it <laughs> up yeah, you're the one who picked it up <laughs> uh so i think she just grabbed it from the top she sees that there's teeth and she just quickly <sighs> draws her sword and tries to like cut it in half in a panic okay no that's fair enough okay so that's 1d6 on my end. Yeah. And then, as with challenges, both attacking and defending roles can be affected by bargaining. Ooh. So, if you fancy bargaining for, for some extra... Yes. Yeah, so, one of her traits is intuitive. So, I would like to bargain an extra d6 because she is a pirate. This is probably not the first time she's impulsively stuck her hand in the water and pulled out something unsavory. <laughs> so, her first instinct of... ah cut it in half is uh, probably more ingrained at this point than the average person. I mean, especially the fish part of it, yeah. That makes an, an extraordinary amount of sense. Yeah, feel free to get an extra d6 on that. Uh, the defense of these fishes is going to be just the one d6, so I'm just rolling the one. Sweet. Sounds like a plan. Roll. Ooh. Ooh glad I had two there. <laughs> uh, she rolls a four. Okay, uh, I rolled a six. Oh. So, logically, it doesn't make sense for you to miss this, considering it's right there. But maybe the boat rocks at that moment with that incoming horde of fish. So it knocks the boat and you kind of sets you off balance for a moment and the fish just goes flying back into the river. Uh, these are monster fish. Uh, they are not friendly. Do not grab these lights. So what we're going to do is have uh, the fishes are going to have, because there are four of them, we're going to have two fish turns. And then we'll move on to your folks' turns. Seeing as you all have the same speed, you can decide amongst yourselves which order you want to go in. But for the time being, they roll 2d6 for attacking. So I'm going to make this fair. I'm going to roll a dice to decide who they attack. Actually, I, I think it's only fair that that one that just got thrown away is going to make a beeline for Maeve. Fair enough. So I'm just going to... Yeah, I'm just going to run it straight because I've got 2d6 against your 1d6 defense, I'm assuming. Yep. Yep. So I'm going to roll those now. All right, I got a 6 and a 1. 
Oh, I got a three. Okay, so you will take one minor wound as this same fish just leaps out of the water, teeth gnashing like a very angry aquatic chihuahua, <laughs> and clamps onto your, say, upper forearm, and just <laughs> before uh, loosening its grip and dropping back into the water. Actually, no, it, it will stay kind of implanted on your arm, I think. I think that's quite quite good as a <laughs> as a vision. So it'll stay going. <laughs> but yeah, you take one minor wound. And then another one is going to come and make a leap for Bartholomew, I think. All right, I've got a three. Yep. And I, oh, six and a four. These fish are doing phenomenally well. <laughs> so this fish will, uh, again, leap out of the water and maybe go for your leg. Mm -hmm. again, again, like a very angry aquatic chihuahua. <laughs> so you take uh, one minor wound as well. Mm -hmm. And then we'll move on to your threes' turn. So you can... Discuss amongst yourself, decide what order you want to go in. If I may, Bartholomew will immediately grab the fish to throw it into the air and then shoot it in midair in retaliation. <laughs> Being like, ah, this foul thing, the undead looking fish. I've been running into nothing but undead since I've joined the fiber of the kittens. Throws the fish into the air and then goes to shoot it. Yeah, there, there is a certain pattern to this, isn't there? The rats weren't undead. They were alive. They weren't. Mm -hmm. And they killed me. Yeah. <laughs> well, technically. Mm. Well, <laughs> technically, your friend <laughs> killed you. too. I mean, it was not like a total loss. <laughs> no, let's see. I would imagine this act of standing up and announcing that out undead fiend and grabbing and throwing in the air and then going to shoot with a musket, that would be courageous. I'd like to add that to my role. I was going to say, if he's going to throw that fish in the air and shoot it, I'm very interested in that. I would be very impressed. I'm not a gunman, though, so maybe I'm easily impressed with guns. I'll, I'll let you have another D6 on that one. Okay, so. I'll go, go ahead and make a roll there. Yep. Attack. So I got a six and a two. Good. I got, I got a four. So you take the fish, pull it right off your leg, chuck it in the air, and then line your sights up briefly before... Perfect. Yeah, shooting, shooting it, it. and it, it kind of... Ex Let's say it explodes in this kind of like bony residue because they are bony, quite, undead quite fishy guts. Yeah, in, in, the, mm. in the way that undead fish tend to explode. I would like to say when that happens, I have a big smile on my face and then the pieces of bony fish land on my face also. <laughs> but I'm still smiling. It is very cool. <laughs> okay, so that's one down. There are three left to go. And we we still got Armando and Maeve to take their turns. Amanda, we could use some help. Yes, I'm sorry. I was blown away, no pun intended, by your uh, marksmanship. Oh, thank uh, you. I'm going to attack the one that is currently implanted on Maeve's arm, and I'm going to use also my... Uh, so I get a 36 for my sword. But I would like to say that I got a new trait because I level up during the break. You did. And I'm now a loyal, especially to Maeve. And so mm -hmm. my loyalty will power through and I will uh, unsheath my longsword, which sounds very cool when I unsheath it. It's like whooshing. It, it's so spectacular. So I take I, it I, out. I imagine there would be some non-diegetic Spanish guitar that goes... Mm. Yeah, it, it, it's a lot of uh, <laughs> like the beginning of a flamenco song. <laughs> like oh, that. yeah. I love it. And so I take it out, 
and I go right for the fish. I say, stay a very still, Maeve. And I, I try to poke it with my long sword. All right, trying to skewer the fish. Yes, exactly. Okay, excellent. Yeah, so that will give you... So you're up to 3d6, actually. So you better hope you get it. I hope you roll a very poorly. <laughs> no. And I would like to ask in advance if that luck roll can be appended after the result of the initial roll. Because I rolled very poorly. Well, it might not be necessary. I rolled a three. Well, as it turns out, I rolled a two, a one, and a two. <laughs> <laughs> it was very bad. I'm not used to the um, atmosphere in the land of the dead. Usually I'm very capable and crisp with my, uh, with my sword play. But here it's different. I'm on a boat, which who wants to fight on a boat, number one? And then if everything is dead, it's up, all up in my mind. So I would like to use either a stress point or a luck roll to add another roll if that is possible. Unfortunately, if you're using a stress point to add an extra dice on, that needs to be done before we roll. No problem. And then luck rolls are their own thing anyway. So I completely miss. Hopefully... I do not stab a Maeve. No, well, well, what we'll say again is that some more fish ram into the boat and kind of, as you're preparing your riposte into the fish, it just kind of jolts you and you go wide. That sounds better. I feel better about my myth. Okay, Maeve, you're up. Well, this is inconvenient at best. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I suppose... I deal with this myself, and she she has her sword in her hand, and this time she's like tucking it in like the 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 handle part in her elbow to help stabilize it, and just running the fish across the blade because she's just trying to get it off, trying to like descale it basically. <laughs> yes, just let go. Ah, uh, so I brash or intuitive this, this this is her jam she's fighting on a boat she's done this before yeah well that that would come into context i would say for your character mm. background context okay but yes i don't mind just kind of giving you an extra d6 for attack rolls Sweet. so i'm while rolling you're, while you're fighting on a boat yeah so i'm rolling two two d6 yeah well she rolled a three and a one well i rolled a one so yes. <laughs> i don't like telling you before you think, oh, I've rolled horribly, and it turns out I've rolled even more horribly. <laughs> <laughs> what does this look like when you uh, fillet this fish? Maeve, like, flips the sword up into her armpit to help, like, stabilize it. She has the bottom of the uh, pointy end in her hand, so she's not cutting herself. And it's like, it's kind of like a macabre violin, where she's just like, back and forth, get off, <laughs> until it gets off of her. And then, yeah. It'll, I, I think that would kind of like start to just saw it in half. Yes. All right. So that's, that's two down, two to go. And it's the two ones which have not attacked yet. So that's quite handy. So one is going to come for Amando, I think. So I'm just going to roll that off for a five and a four. So I roll a two for my defense. I just, it's a one d six, correct? Yes. In, unless you have any extras. I don't believe, well, I have leather armor. I don't know if that helps with anything, especially with uh, a biting a fish, because I assume it's like piercing damage or something like that. But if I'm wearing leather, they cannot get through leather. They're, those teeth are like kind of pointy, but not super pointy. 
I mean, that depends entirely on why they're biting you, surely. Well, I guess you tell me where the fish are biting me. The butt. <laughs> I do have, have leather pants on, so my butt is covered. But I will say that it, that is a very uncomfortable place to be bitten by anything, especially a fish. <laughs> so I'll go ahead and roll another D6, and I will be disappointed again because I roll another two. It's a very strong jaw on this fish. No, I completely understand. Mm. And <laughs> I go, yow! Like that, like, I was speaking a little bit on my <laughs> sound, but it was appropriate, I think, because when you get bit on the butt by a fish, mm. especially undead fish, that is the best response, is just to yell. Yeah, it lets everyone know, anyway. All right, so that, that was one of them, and then the next one is going to go for, I'm just going to... So is that a minor wound? I uh, Yes, that'll be a minor wound. Minor wound on my butt. I can't believe it. <laughs> All right, the next one is going to go for Maeve. Bring so we're going to roll our attacks. Or my attack, your defense. Do I get an extra in defense as well because I'm on a boat? I think if you were on like a, a nice stable ship mm. where you're kind of used to it, whereas you're on like a tiny little boat that's rocking all over the place. Fair enough. But I rolled a three and a one. I rolled a three as well. Okay, so in this situation, because that's what we call a stalemate, so normally, you know, as we said, if the two highest numbers draw, then we move on to the next highest. But in this situation, there is no next highest for one of the people. So then in a, a stalemate, then it resolves as neutrally or naturally as possible. So in this situation, I would say that Basically, defender wins because it's not a loss, basically. Perfect. So I'd say the a fish kind of comes up to try and gnash at your face, but you kind of, like, the boat rocks again, so you end up accidentally kind of shifting back and it just goes flying right past your face and lands in the water on the other side. All right, so we're back to your guys' turn. If I may first, I hear... Armando's yelp out in pain, and I see that he's got a fish uh, attached to his hindquarters, so what I'm going to do is quickly load my gun. It doesn't take 14 turns <laughs> in this system. No, nope, doesn't. <laughs> and immediately sh shoot at that horrifying beast that's attached itself to Armando. Poor Armando. I, I see Bartholomew pointing his gun at my butt, <laughs> and I am very scared. So I freeze so it's like, please do not shoot me. <laughs> In that case, it's like, I, I understand. I, I'm very humble. And I say, I understand. No, you may shoot the fish. Just don't shoot me. Mm. And I stick my butt out a little bit so the fish <laughs> is wiggling in the air. So it's an easier target for him. You can do it's it. It's still painful, though. So, like, it's very difficult. Bartholomew, I'm going to <laughs> preemptively offer you a bargain here. <laughs> In that I will provide you an extra, uh, what actually, what what attack are you running with at the moment? I'll take you up on this bargain. I don't want to hurt him, but I have the potential to hurt him further using the tomahawk, tomahawk on well, my well, side. Well, wait, wait, till, wait till you hear the bargain mm. first. I was just asking, oh, yeah, yeah, asking yeah. what your gun damage does. Oh, the attack is uh, a d6. Okay, so here's my bargain. Uh, I will provide you an extra 2d6 to bring you up to 3d6 mm -hmm. against my 1d6. However, if I win, so my roll is higher, then it will be Armando getting the damage mm -hmm. and it will be two minor wounds. 
to bring him up to one major wound in total because his face has been shot. That's the that that's, that's that the works, and I'd like to role play that as. Now I do have multiple weapons, but this will still be a ranged. I'm flavoring it as switching from a gun. He said, "Don't shoot me," and I and Bartholomew takes kindly. He under, I understand, and he drops his gun down to his feet. He can grab it next turn, but he grabs his side tomahawk that he has for throwing zombies that get a little too close for comfort. He takes that and he throws a tomahawk instead. Might deal some extra damage to poor Armando, but it's a risk he's willing to take to deal with this fish without shooting at him. All right, roll your 3d6 then. <laughs> I don't know if I would prefer to be shot in the butt or have a tomahawk <laughs> implanted into my butt. Both of these are, they're very bad choices. A five, a three, and a one. Okay, that I rolled a two. Okay. So you hear just a whoosh, and then a plunk of the fish with that tomahawk going through it, going sinking down to the bottom of the river that we're sailing across. Yeah. Like, there we go. Hope you weren't too afraid of me using a tomahawk instead. I was not too afraid, but I was a little afraid. I mean, I saw the trick with the gun, and now the tomahawk, you are like a... Uh... You are incredible, Bartholomew. It's nothing. This is this is normal. Going up against undead fiends trying to kill you and drag you off to become a part of the undead horde. Think nothing of it. Well, I will take a page out of your book, and I will try again and attack these a fish. Yeah. So uh, that is the last. Uh, we've got one more to go. It's the one that narrowly missed Maeve. So it's just um, circling around the boat. I think by this point. I would like to goad the fish to jump out of the water like I will insult it and perhaps his family or his mother <laughs> specifically. And uh, once the fish jumped out of the water, I will strike with my long sword. All right, yeah. Okay, so do you want to try and add anything onto that? or I'm going to add a stress point right now and so I do not regret uh, not having added it before. And then I will roll. So that takes yeah. me up to 3d6. Is yep. that okay with you? Yep, that's okay. fine by me. Well, it did not really add anything with the threat point, but it's okay. I got a six, a one, and another one. I got a five. Oh, that is so good. I'm glad I could insult that fish. Get out of the water and pa. <laughs> so, so, like, within the scene, what do you do? So, like, I am really getting into this fish's mind, you know? Like, it is all... In, uh, insecure about itself, like he was trying to go after me, but now it's like, I'm going to go after this guy, this very handsome man with the big mustache. And so he jumped out of the water trying to get to me to, to, to defend his honor, which I can appreciate, let me tell you. But then what he does not expect is the longsword comes out, blah, I slice it in half, and his head goes from a vicious bite attack to like a frown, which you cannot probably see a frown on and on that fish, but that is what he is doing. And it goes to the left, and his tail goes to the right, like past me, whoo, and I cheese my sword very uh, gracefully afterwards, like, you know, like this is no big deal. I do this all the time. He goes, doo-doo-doo. My word is, your swordsmanship is definitely needed at my, at my hometown. Whenever you can help, we are assaulted by zombies Multiple times during the year. Many skirmishes. Gracias. I would gladly help you. I mean, 
if anyone is willing to throw a tomahawk at a fish that is biting my butt and not hit my butt, I am your friend. That's wonderful to hear. Thank you. Thank you, Armando. But of course. Uh, the boatman says at, at this point, because he's still... It, oh, yeah, it wasn't, what's the boatman doing? <laughs> he was just hanging out. He was just vibing. Like, <laughs> oh, well, fought you lot. Uh, I, I can't tell you the number of people who... Uh, uh, try and get back to the land of the living, and then uh, we get to this bit of the river, and they just get dragged overboard, eaten into bits. It's nasty, I'll tell you. I'm going to ask the boatman a question, and as I am asking the question, I'm going to look at Maeve, and I'm going to say, "Say, excuse me, Mr. Boatman, do these fish attack if you do not put your hand in the water and try to grab one? And I'm looking at Maeve like, why did you grab one? Usually they attack a bit closer to the gates, you know, for... Dramatic effect, I guess. But if you're stupid enough to stick your hand in there, then they're going to go for it, right? <laughs> uh, man, they, they could have been uh, the, some kind of glowing currency in the bottom of the river. We would not have known had I not grabbed them. And also, uh, one time I grabbed the baby kraken and it all turned out as fine as well. This is just the warm-up, no? That's true. It is an opportunity for us to uh, demonstrate our skills. So that is fine. Bartholomew, I think you should write a poem to remind Maeve not to stick her hand in the river of the undead. How did you know I was writing poetry about the events that just transpired? I am a fervent reader of the Inspirer. It is incredible. Thank you. I was writing poetry earlier about Maeve and how she changes colors from the many different metals she applies to herself. And I was going to write poetry about you and how you daring you looked when you sliced that fish in half. I appreciate it. That is very kind. We could yes. do uh, the special, uh, what do you say, the, the special special edition, the, um, the rules of uh, battling for your, uh, as according to uh, what your French companion, that is me, needs to uh, follow. Uh, that could be um, uh, the special article because uh, this is also why uh, you may notice that I do not have uh, the pirate crew. Uh, I may or may <laughs> not have been, uh, how do you say, uh, f- uh, fired. Occasionally uh, 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 my impulses uh, do not turn out okay, but this one turned out okay. Oh, that sounds like a great idea for an article in, in the next edition of the Inspire. Yes, this... This is oh. this is wonderful. Oh, <laughs> I think this this means the boat needs to go faster. That is what I'm thinking, Mister Boatman. Oh yeah, yeah. Sorry, I was uh, checking my emails. <laughs> <laughs> How is that even possible? Without have technology, it's not aware. It's not available. How can technology be so futuristic and so? primitive at the same time. It is what it is. Maybe you should apply that technology to uh, prevent the ghost fish from attacking people on the boat. Well, do, do you not have ethereal mail in the lands of the living? No. no. Just a, a standard mail. <laughs> it, it's ghost parrots, you see. They, they, they fly messages <laughs> in Mr. between here and the, the mainland. Yeah, what? Mr. The Boatman, uh, may, may, may I remind you that uh, we come from the land of the living, not the land of the ghost. So we do not have the ghost ethereal mail, as you may say, uh, because we do not have the ghost to power it. 
And yet you call me stupid. You, you are the one without the common sense. No, no, that's a fair point. That's a fair point. I like how you think it is fair that you do not have a common sense. You say he has no common sense, <laughs> and he's like, yeah, fair point. I have no common sense. And I'm like, wow, I could never say that and uh, with a straight face, you know? <laughs> well, you know, it's uh, part, part of that training. They, they tell you not to rile up the, the passengers. Mm. It seems like we could try to push this point a little bit further by trying to see what the limits of this boatman is, <laughs> if you like. Oh, look, here or... they are, the, the gates of the, the, uh, the underworld. Ah. <laughs> it turns out we are too late. Oh, look, they just turned up. That must have been the second challenge, challenging the boatman until he pulls up the gates. We have succeeded. Well, yeah, I mean, you've seen before that he's more than willing to take a shortcut. So he, he's, t- he's taking you off the tourist route, and it's just gone... Ugh. I, sh- I should have learned then when they paid me in a magazine that this wasn't going to be a regular <laughs> trip. <laughs> so if this is the drop-off point, where do we go from here? Well, uh, you see those massive glowing gates in the middle of the river? It's kind of hard to miss, yeah. Yeah, those ones. Basically, I'll just drive right through them and then it kind of transports you back and then uh, I-, I just go home. Well, that's convenient. So we go into a river in the world of the living and we are just... In the river, like, what if I cannot swim? Oh, no, no, you don't go into a river. Sorry, I've got to uh, change change my language to um, make sure you understand. You go through the gate, right? And you go back to the point at which you died, like the, the place so, you died in. So, like, so we can die all over again? <laughs> like, we are caught in an explosion? No, no, but you'll see, all right? Okay. What will I think? I don't want to ruin the surprise. You know, there are so few people who get to go back to the land of the living, right? You okay. Know. So I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to have my sword out and I'm going to be ready to jump to the side. Put it this way, you know, whatever killed you is uh, probably not that big a deal anymore, right? This is true. So here I am just <laughs> driving you through the gates of the underworld. Do, 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 and you kind of start passing through the, the gates. If you imagine just a giant archway with light streaming out of it, you can see like past the sides of it where the river continues. But through this is just light. As the front of the boat goes through it and you start to all pass through it, the, the light starts to get brighter and brighter and brighter until it kind of obscures your vision. And then you just hear the boatman go, oh yeah, one thing I should mention. Did you hear what he was going to say? No, but that makes it such an adventure, no? That's true. Yes, it does. I laugh at death at the beginning of this adventure. Why would I not do so now? It could be a few moments. It could be a lifetime or a death time. But eventually the world kind of comes back into focus. So back in the land of the living you reappear in the exact same spot you died, in that basement full of charred rat corpses and lots of singed everything. Hey, but the building is still standing, so we have succeeded. We should be getting paid for this job anyways. Bartholomew wakes up, like, panting heavily. (laughs) Okay, we're we're back. Uh, Oh, okay, Maeve, you're here, and Armando, are are you there? Are you alive? Start shaking. I'm here. I really do not like the smell of a burnt rat hair. So if it's okay with you, I would like to leave this basement where it is trapping this smell. Does anyone remember what our what our contract was? Was it to kill the rats? Did we need to 
bring the dead rats with us? No, it was basically just to go down into a base, an old lady's basement and get rid of the rats. Oh, uh, yes. It's uh, fairly, fairly my basic memory, stuff. Yes, I've gotten my memory back now, yes. But how long has it been? Good question. The trapdoor to the basement opens and two people walk down the stairs. One of them is the old lady who you now remember was the person who owns the house and is now technically you did do the job but also died in the process of it uh, she walks down accompanied by Nula Sag you will recognize as leader of the guild they wander down and she just is talking to him the like the entire time she's going oh and if you look over here I said I wanted them to take care of the rats but they end up blowing up half my basement all that rum is just gone now that was antique stuff you know it's you know, my husband got that in the war, and I've been saving it, and I drink a little bit on the anniversary of his death every year. And, and Nula Sag is kind of just going, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh. uh, Let's just get this paperwork sorted out. So, madam, uh, A, we have uh, gotten rid of the rats. We uh, accomplished the mission. Uh, B, your rum... I uh, did try a little bit before uh, we got to the rat uh, extermination. And uh, it was, uh, how do I say this? I would not drink it if it was uh, the last rum left on a deserted island. In fact, I would burn it as a signal for passing ships to not come anywhere near. Uh, I am happy to offer my uh, humble services to uh, help you find something better to celebrate your husband's uh, death anniversary. Weirdly enough, there is absolutely no sign that she heard you. Nudasang, uh, oh, no. however, kind of looks around and just says, Do you just get cold in here or is it me? Wait a minute. They say we could come back to the land of the living, but did they say we would be leaving? Hmm. Are we alive? And I'm going to try to pat Nudasang on the head, but like in a very a friendly way, you know, like, hey, buddy, how are, how are you doing today? Your hand goes straight through his head and he kind of shivers and goes, No, no, I, I did not imagine that. Are there bodies? Is my question. There are not. Ugh. We have been the kidnapped. Not us, but the czar, czar. How did the, the death person put it? The, the meat sacks. Now we must go and find them and... Destroy whoever decided to take um, my booty. So that way we can get paid. And uh, Bartholomew, how are you handling all of this? When you mentioned that, Bartholomew shudders at the idea of his body being turned into an undead revenant like what he's fought back at his hometown in Pine Drake. And he shudders at the thought. And then his mind rushes back to Alistar, his horse, and wanting to know if his horse is okay. So he shakes his head. He says, we need to make it outside. Alistar should be outside. That's what's, what I am most concerned of. But yes, our bodies have been kidnapped. Who knows what they could be doing with us? So I, w I know that there. I signed an agreement a long time ago for my body to be like taxidermied at the uh, <laughs> Nikomoi Fencing Academy. I am like a symbol, you know? I am a not like a rock star, but, you know, I am a very accomplished Ethor fighter. And so I'm like the mascot of the Fencing Academy. So that's probably where they're taking my body, I imagine. But before that, I would like to try something. So I would like to try to dive into a Nulithag's body, knowing that I am like a ghost, right? I want to see if I can possess Nulithag. 
And then I can ask this old lady question like, what do you do with the bodies? Or do you know who took the bodies? Or something like that. Mm, excellent. Okay, so. See, you, you laugh, but I did think about this. Oh, that's, <laughs> that, that's actually really good thinking. How this works, possessing people, is that your will has to be greater than the other person. So it's basically just a, still a challenge. So Nulasag is not amazingly headstrong as a person and is quite a, a bit of a pushover. <laughs> I would like to say I distracted him too by putting my hand through his head and now he like goes a chivery, you know? Yeah, so I would say I would roll 2d6 for this. So it's, it's going to be a fa fairly basic ability to possess. Okay, so I roll my dice and I got two a five. Two fives, okay. Well, I got a four and a three. So oh. you steal up your will, you kind of envisage, envisions? No, that's not another word. Envisage what you want to happen. You want to kind of possess Nulasag's form and you move your being into his and your minds kind of connect. He recognizes you and is scared, first of all, confused, second of all, and also still very, very confused and scared. Your will overtakes his and you can control his body for a short time. Okay, number one, because I like Nulesag, he seemed like a nice guy. I say, hey, relax. But it probably comes out like I'm telling the old lady to relax. So that is a little weird at first. I and am I say, relaxed. Oh, sorry. It's quite rude. Okay, yes, I'm sorry. This has been a very traumatic day for a lot of people. <laughs> Why has your um, accent changed? I'm trying something new. I'm, uh, I have a part in a play and I'm trying to be a very handsome sword fighter. And so I have to talk like this because that's the way a handsome sword fighter is going to talk. You're not that handsome. The sword fighter who was in here earlier, he was handsome. It's called acting, you know? I feel like I need to really be urgent about this question. Do you know where the bodies went for the people that I sent to take care of your wrath? Well, it's a cool... Um, cats. Fire cats. That was the one. The ones who sent them. I had to call them to come and get the bodies back. So the, the fire breathing of kittens? Yeah, that's the one. Okay. You do know that me, Nulisag, is the head of the fire breathing of kittens? Why am I talking to you if you do not know that I am the head of the fire breathing oh, of kittens? I thought you were the insurance guy. Well, I do that on the side. That is like my side hustle. And I, I try not to advertise that too much because I'm trying to run a very important guild and we are recruiting very heavily, and that is taking a lot of my time. Anyway, do you remember the name of the person to whom you are were speaking? No, but they said they would come and take the bodies back to the guild hall, and that they would send some stinky dwarf to come over here to talk to me about insurance. So, I, uh, GM, I would like to smell myself. Am I stinky? <laughs> Not really. Okay. So I will say, excuse me, madam, I'm very insulted. I'm not a stinky. I am a dwarf, though. I, I am very proud of that, but I'm not a stinky. So It's just their uh, words. Thank you. Their words. Okay, no, they no, no. They said you okay, were stinky. So what I will do is I will y jump out of the body of Nulisag so I can talk to my, uh, to my friends Maeve and Bartholomew and say, did you, did you hear that? We could hear yeah. it, right? Yeah. Okay. Let us, I assume, because we are like ghosts, we can go uh, very fast. So let us rush to the guild hall and find our bodies and jump in immediately. Jim, uh, did I discover any uh, a secrets when I was in Nulisag's body, like tearing his mind or whatever? You don't want to know. 
But, okay, we, we talk offline, as you yeah. say. Okay, so let us, uh, uh, no pun intended, but a spirit away to the uh, guild hall, and then we can, you know, try to get into our bodies. Because I just jumped, in, jumped into this body, and it was pretty easy. As luck would have it, you kind of um, float in an upwardly direction until you get to above ground, where Alistair... Your horse, Bartholomew, mm. is still just waiting. I see. He was uh, not as scared of the explosion. That is a very a well-trained horse. Yes, and now that I see Alistar is safe, I am actually going to... Well, I look around. Does there seem to be anything trying to bother Alistar? No, but once you kind of float towards him, he strangely does kind of turn and look at you. Alistar, do you... <laughs> Well, you do see me. I'll, I'll be damned. Well, Alistair, let's he- let's head out. And would I be able to affect the area around me, like unleashing his harness from whatever gate he's tied to, and mount him? Uh, and he's, just start- he's not actually tied to anything. Oh, okay. Uh, in the initial explosion, whatever he was tied to, a little hitching post or whatever, that came loose, mm-hmm. and he would have bolted briefly because you know it's a big explosion. But then he would have come back and waited. All right. Well, Alistair, let's go. Giddy up. Uh, wait, and wait, I, wait, Bartholomew, is, is there any room on that horse for Maeve and me? You can just, you can float <laughs> your way over here and give uh, you enough time to hitch a ride. It's like getting in a car and starting to dry off and you guys have to jump in. Uh, You're ghost riding the horse. <laughs> Maeve kind of yes. whispers to Armando, uh, this may be uh, the bad time, but uh, I am the boat person not the the horse person how does one uh ride the horse i think it's going to be like a crash course if you're going to try to learn right now i think i just hold on to bartholomew he knows what he's doing and he's very a strong man and so i think he can handle us just hanging on and plus we're like ghosts we don't weigh nothing <laughs> okay let's go and she's gonna dive and jump on the horse yep you only live once unless it's twice mm-hmm. <clears throat> So are we uh, going toward the uh, guild hall on the horse? That's where I'm heading, yes. So uh, Maeve and Armando, you kind of try and like, not necessarily hop, you kind of float onto uh, Alistair's back and you grab onto Bartholomew because as we know, in Ghost World, ghosts can interact with each other. But due to whatever thing exists between Bartholomew and Alistair, he can kind of ride Alistair up to the point of not falling off. So if you can imagine uh, this, this this white horse just galloping down the road. To anyone else, it would seem that no one's on it at all. But if you were looking in a certain wavelength of light, you would see one ghostly figure and then two other ghostly figures just holding on for their life as they're <laughs> flapping around in the breeze <laughs> as you power your way towards the guild hall. And uh, it's getting down towards about sunset now we'll call it mm-hmm. and as you get closer i i can't remember offhand whether the guild hall is specifically quite close towards the beach but let's say it is this week <laughs> it's fairly close to the pier yeah it, it moves every so often doesn't it <laughs> through for narrative purposes of yeah, course for narrative yeah it moves due to the, the waning narrative tide Occasionally, we uh, some guild members may or may not rewrite reality, so things it, it does not always turn it, out. It is quite a common occurrence, yeah. So let's say this week the guild hall is uh, quite close to the beach, and so Alistair 
kind of sprints towards the guild hall. And you can see on the beach is arrayed quite a lot of the memberage of the fire-breathing kittens as a small boat is pushed out oh, no. onto the sea. <laughs> and uh, Did we institute a funeral pyre? I thought I voted against that last uh, quarterly meeting. Well, uh, okay, I'll, I'll expand that and say also on the beach there is a cart, uh, kind of like <laughs> a, like, like a, ha- a hand cart with um, a lump and a blanket over the top and two people in fencing uniforms are standing guard by it. <laughs> that works. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, <laughs> the taxidermists are here. That's true. We should probably uh, go investigate the cart and see if we can... See if we are there. We need to find some bodies, you know? Uh, the, I am going to go to the boat, the pirate's funeral. That is probably where I am at. Alistar, wait here. We're heading out to retrieve my body from the boat funeral. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners can't see, but the horse saluted. Yeah. <laughs> that is a, an extremely well-trained horse. I, I really must find... Your 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 secret. That is incredible. <laughs> so, Maeve and Bartholomew, we are together going to retrieve our bodies from this this. Uh, what kind of funeral would this be called again? Uh, like a biking, a biking funeral. Right. Mm. Or a funeral pyre would probably more be more general for the universe. This is set in. That's true. There are no bi- bikings in this uh, world. No Scandinavian. Not that, we, not that we've uh, encountered. Oh, that's true. All right. All right. We head over to our bodies. Hopefully in semi-good condition. I'd hope not to be revived and be in a zombified... Well, we'll see. I think at worst you will be covered in uh, burns and scars, and you will be in uh, horrible pain, (laughs) but that is nothing like a cleric cannot take care of or nothing. Indeed. Okay, so uh, the boat is kind of getting pushed out, kind of floating in the shallows as they're kind of waiting a bit for the tide to take it. As Bartholomew and Maeve get close, you can see your own bodies. It's a very strange situation. Bartholomew, yours looks quite, I don't want to say cooked, but it's certainly singed. Maeve, you can't really tell the difference. (laughs) I I, I forgot, yeah, it's true. That lady is on fire, like, literally, you know? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so they're kind of there. You've, you've got um, someone on the beach with a bow and a flaming arrow in the split second about to loose. Let's put that out. I'm still on the beach, right? Yeah. So I can take care of the arrow and you get into your bodies if you trust me, which you should because I'm very honorable. Yes, yes. I, I trust you. Uh, if worse comes to worse, uh, we get in our bodies. You duck. I grab flaming arrow. Cannot catch more on fire. Not only do I trust you, Armando, I trust you to do it stylish as well. Oh. Apparently, my uh, style precedes me. So, yes, <laughs> I will do that. I will, um, as a ghost, I will dance on the arrowhead, like on the fire, and using my quick step with my boots, I put out the fire. Okay, that sounds like one more challenge to me. If it is possible to use a stress point, I would like to do that. Yeah, of course. If, you, if you've got one to spare, then go for it. Oh, I only have one to spare. Um, I'm just going to be rolling 1d6 because, as we know, ghosts are cold. Fire is hot. Cold cancels out hot. Therefore, it should be fairly easy to do. Also, beaches are windy. Okay. So I got a 5 and a 1. Well, I got a 4. 
It is. Every time you tell me it is a number lower than my number, I, I like exhale in relief. <laughs> it is very tense. So yes, the fire is put out on the arrow and I'm a dancing. Like, you know, very stylishly, I must say. I will say, though, that um, even though the fire has gone out, the arrow still gets loosed, but it will fly gracefully into the air and just land in the bottom of the boat. That is pretty good. That guy has a good aim. I would like to make a note of this fire-breathing kitten, uh, uh, either member or subsidiary contract guy or whatever. He's a very good aim. Oh, whose boat did it land in? Ours. Yeah, it was a... (laughs) Oh, we're it in the same boat. It was boat. a funeral boat, yeah. It was a joint joint funeral. Yeah, it's not a very good boat. It is for it to be burned, you know? I imagine I and Maeve are heading over to the boats as this arrow looses and lands in the boat. I turned to Maeve and said, we should break that in half and keep it as a souvenir. Of course, uh, but I also have uh, one of the best souvenirs, the hat. Yes, quite. <laughs> I really hope the hat uh, it manifests itself in the living. Who's going to tell her it's a ghost hat? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. She will find out. She will find out. The ghost hat will live on in spirit, and you will always be able to feel <laughs> it just kind of above you. But now you have, like, a goal. Bring the hat to life. <laughs> yeah, you yes. need to manifest this hat. You need to find a, a living hat and put a spirit in the living hat. <laughs> Her her new goal is to either find a replica hat or hunt down death and make him give her a real one. <laughs> they're, bo- they're both equally attainable, I think. <laughs> <laughs> they're much of a muchness, aren't they? New hat, hunt down death. Didn't <laughs> the same. So silly. We met death already. It's like we're practically uh, pen pals. Yes. Did she come? Did she wake up and see that there's no hat? Yes, so... so um, in the background, you just hear, while Armando's getting into his body, just screams of rage. <laughs> <laughs> screams of rage from the boat and screams of confusion and terror from the beach as the person who's just loosed an arrow at the boat is going, oh no, are they not dead? And Bartholomew is screaming in pain from waking up with the burns, he's... It's more like, it's less of like loud screaming like when Armando got bit in the butt by a fish and more more pain moans from the burns, but he is at least alive. I will say that the fish biting my butt was in a, a spiritual world. So I don't think I have those scars on my body, even though I am burned probably to a crisp <laughs> because of the explosion. But it is nice to know that I do not have the, the fish bite on my butt. Armando, what does it look like when you take control back of your body? Yeah, I sit up. So I have uh, envisioned this uh, circumstance many times. Like I think if I am ever in a circumstance where I come back to life, what do I say to put people at ease? And this is what it is. I say, oh, what a great sleep that was. And so people, they think I was dead, but it's like, oh, he was asleep. That is not as scary at all. And so I go, like a yawn and I stretch my arm very slowly you know so it's not scary and I sit up in the guard and do I know the names of these uh, people that are guarding me because if so I would like to call them by name and say hey it's good to see you thank you for taking me I am sorry for having an inappropriate nap but I was very sleepy yeah they they would have been uh, two representatives from the fencing school who would whisk you away to the taxidermist 
That is good. That is very efficient. That's why I like that school. They, they are on top of what they need to be on top of. And so I congratulate them and say, I am honored that you would think you would be so ready to put me as a prize collection in the taxidermy wing of the Nikemoy Fencing Academy. Thank you. So I thank them. I shake their hands. And then I say, if you excuse me, I need to get to my friend on that boat. What is my condition of my body? Is it really burned? I'd say it's nothing that can't be healed. How are my clothes? Are they like intact or are they in, in tatters? Oh, uh, good question. I think the leather would be scorched, but in place. Any fabric would probably be a bit more burnt off. All right. So what I will do is I will strip it naked. I'll take all of my clothes off and I swim to the boat. Could I describe how what Bartholomew sees? He oh, he rises up, he sits up, he looks up to the shore, he sees everyone like gasping in surprise, and he sees his horse Alistar standing proudly, and he cracks a smile. He looks down at the arrow that was shot at their funeral boat, and he picks it up and he says, This will make for a, a wonderful keepsake. And then he looks up and in shock he sees the naked body of of Armando swimming towards the boat and says oh he's coming to get us good and, and when you say a shocked you like he is a shockingly good looking right hmm? yeah yes yes shockingly oh, of good course, of course i appreciate hmm. that that is i mean not that i am need that kind of validation from everybody <laughs> but it is nice to get every once in a while hey mave is screaming over the hat still and cursing death she knows nothing else right now <laughs> and that is what i'm hearing and that is why i'm swimming toward you we can kind of wrap it up there like as the naked form of Armando swims towards the other boat, just to make sure his compatriots are safe, there's quite a bit of confusion on the beach. Everyone there kind of turns to look at a large bipedal elephant who's also stood on the beach. Uh, this is Dr. Crod Third, and he kind of shrugs and just goes, Oh, don't look at me. I'm pretty sure they were dead when they... <laughs> <laughs> when they came across my door. Don't know what y'all looking at me for. And then uh, I think the the evening passes with you making your way back to shore. Everyone, I guess, congratulating you for not being dead and like asking what was going on and also finding Armando some clothes. And I appreciate then, it. Bartholomew, you can tell the story a thousand times over and you know you're going to get quite a fat paycheck from when this poem comes out. Oh, yes. And he assigned it like 50 times, so like... Mm. <laughs> Who knows what's going to happen next time he dies, you know? <laughs> and Maeve, you have now, I guess, a long-term goal to either hunt down death or get that hat, whichever's easier. Anyway, that's probably a good place to call it. Uh, thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Fire Breathing Kittens podcast. As usual, if you fancy leaving us a nice rating review on whatever podcast platform you happen to be listening on, it would be much appreciated. And of course, if it's nice enough, we will read it out on air but for now i think it's time to say goodbye and see you later to mave au revoir armando i am going to help mave find that hat i owe it to her and bartholomew well as soon as i get doctored up i'm going to have to go out shopping for some new clothing wonder if a tailor can get me a good regimental coat just like from home bye goodbye bye, bye. Have you heard of Invest in Yourself, the podcast series? This is an interview-based podcast for podcasters to share their journey in the world of podcasting and to inspire wannabe podcasters to join the community. 
Check out Invest in Yourself, the podcast series.